0: OTB Sports Rugby.
1: 1-15, to 15, everyone's got a role to play in terms of breaking down the opposition, but it's an enjoyable attack to, to be involved in because we all like to play rugby and get our hands on the ball and stuff like that.
2: Subscribe to the Rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now.
3: OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the
4: new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right. You're very welcome along. It's Wednesday morning. It is the 1st of March. Spring is sprung, right? We're, we're all officially on board with the whole spring thing. Is this, is this the actual first day
5: of March?
0: the 1st of
4: March, yeah. Jesus.
0: Well, I've noticed that the last two mornings coming into work, there's actually like a little bit of brightness in the mornings, which is kind of nice, rather than just feeling you're coming to work in the middle of the night.
4: Yeah, and it's definitely uh, brighter in the evenings. It's just not warm. Yesterday was not warm. I would say it was actually colder yesterday, and... Uh, there was like a wind whipping in. And we know sometimes that it snows on St. Patrick's Day. You know, sometimes uh, you'd be of course. in Croker and you would be absolutely yep. frozen going, Why Why do they ruin this game by making it be here? And now they have it in January, which is definitely not cold. <laughs> uh, and maybe next year they might even have it in December. It's also not cold. But anyway, uh, yeah, Spring Sprung. Hello, everybody. You're very welcome. Kathleen's here, as you can see. Uh, Shane is here, as you can see. If you want to get involved this morning, we'd love to hear from you. 087 918 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment. On the YouTube stream, uh, we we advised everybody yesterday just to cool their jets about Evan Ferguson, just, you know, wait until he scores the hatchery against France and then we can allow it to take off. This was on the back of the transfer speculation that um, Newcastle were interested that he was going to be a solution to their issues. But, I mean, that's nonsense. It, like, it, you know, really, from this point forward, it, it's only, come back to me when it's Man United speculation. Right. Because let's face it, they can spend £120 million on, on Harry Kane or they can get, like, something younger but just as good for about half that. So you're Is it 60 million there, right? Man United. Uh, okay. Yeah,
0: But wait, what are you saying? Are you saying like don't get on the hype train with Evan oh, No, No, wait, wait
4: until the
5: official confirmation oh, comes okay. through that Manchester United get on, the, get on the go. All aboard. All aboard. You were, you were saying yesterday you pulled the train into the station. Yeah, we got
4: to no, like, it's okay for us.
5: We get that train going, guys. It pulled out from the station last night again, once again. I mean, what the one question left here was, can he do it on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke. And it turns out, he absolutely think, yeah. can. So, Evan Ferguson, all the questions that uh, we had for him are being answered. All aboard the train, folks. Forget about playing yourself down this whole Irish Catholic guilt. Well, relax, cool the jets. No, go for it. The man's the next big thing. I don't think there's much Catholic guilt in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. No.
0: I was very confused there for a second. I was like looking around me, being like, "Where? Where is this strain coming from? What side is it going to hit me from?"
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, all aboard. I think we we gotta we gotta lean into this now. It was just a
4: tap in last night. Though. Let's not get too carried away. It's about the movement, yeah. Forget about the finish. Finish was, was grand. Do we have anybody who can be a Matomo in the Ireland team? I was like. hmm. So it's, it's obvious now he's got to start, right? Yeah, like, well, yeah. There's no ifs, ands or buts. It would be a massive misstep not to put him in the, in the team from kickoff and not to announce that like the week in advance. Like that's what, there's still, you can still buy tickets, I think, or certainly on my Instagram a couple of days ago, they were still advertising yeah. uh, a, a package, a two-game package. But like if you if they just came out and said, listen, lads, Evan Ferguson's in the team, come along. I mean, there'd be no tickets left. It's the equivalent
5: of the Haaland tickets, of course, Haaland didn't show and that up
0: worked out that very time. well for everyone who yeah. bought tickets, <coughs> myself included. <laughs>
5: Fortunately, wasn't involved for Norway that night. But yeah, Evan Ferguson was going to sell tickets, isn't he? Like,
0: but do you want to do that as well? Like, are we putting him in, announcing it a week ahead, building the hype train, and then you know him not having a great performance on the I night? Like, are think. we going to give him a little bit of leeway to maybe ease into it a little bit I more? I was
5: concerned that he couldn't deal with pressure because he's so
4: young, but he absolutely can. We're playing France though, like we don't we don't really expect to win. You know, I think that I think if we don't get hammered by France and put in a reasonable performance, mm. people will be relatively accepting of that. So long as there is some some level of ambition, some level of um, organization and hard work, and they don't con- they don't score from set pieces and we cause trouble with set pieces and all the things, all the hallmarks of a team that is is coached well. Which we, uh, you know, that, that's what we expect from them. Um, I think you got to put them in, like.
0: Oh, I don't disagree with that. It's more just like the, do we build it up that much, like a week ahead of him? I mean, we've already been building up for the last couple of weeks. But like, mm. in an Irish context, it's do this, we it, do we put that weight on his shoulders ah, as yeah. a country that is very good at putting weight on young people's shoulders and then, then maybe not living up to that weight?
4: But. but- uh, yours is supposed to be the generation to change all that shit, right? Uh, like, we're the number one rugby team in the world. What are you talking about? True, yeah, yeah. Keep I was pressure.
0: more thinking just purely in a soccer context but now I feel like I'm having an existential crisis about yeah. the rest of my life.
4: Yeah, come on, you guys can carry the weight. Pressure right. for tyres, hey. That's what they say. Uh, Isn't
0: it? Uh, uh, or bouncy castles. Yeah, yeah. Sure
5: privilege. privilege. Pressure is a privilege. Evan Ferguson, look, he's, he's well- like we, look, Matoma has been a key cog in the whole Ferguson form as well, but maybe we can find someone to, to link up with him. It it was there's a bit of a bit of an overmars Henri stench off Matoma and Ferguson at the moment. They're brilliant. The pair of them together like. So far we've compared
4: them to Haaland and now Thierry Henri and Harry Kane. Yeah. And it's uh, five and a half minutes into the show, so you can have your say in the uh, in the YouTube comments. <laughs> we're not getting too carried away, are we? No, it's fine. Oh, but you're supposed to get carried away, yeah, when, yeah. When, like, why not? That's that's like, you know, this is. Um,
0: it's almost like he was watching the show yesterday, and he heard you say, "Jerry, you know, we're not going to get on the hype train. We're going to park it up." And then he was just like, "No, you know, what? I'm enjoying the hype. I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna give them something else to talk about."
4: Yeah, free yourself from the shackles. So the question is now, really, though, like, who is the best partner for him? What is the best formation to get the best out of this? Like, how do we do a little bit of, I mean, obviously we're nowhere near um, the standard of the rest of the team, the, the depth that they have at Brighton. Um, but what is the team that you pick around him? Like,
0: Are we at that stage? Or are we at the stage of completely picking a team around him?
4: I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like you
5: have to shape a team around him, don't you? We were we were talking on the, on the show yesterday morning. we were like, will he, will he actually start? We all want him to start, but well, will this is he what I actually mean, cause start? Because we're
0: going from the does he um, actually start to okay, we're picking a team around him, <laughs> and as you say, we're about six and a half minutes into the show.
4: Life comes at you fast. <laughs> well, so obviously there is a, a now a recognised shape that Ireland play to, which was designed to play to our strengths. We had a bunch of centre backs. We have good wing backs. And we were short numbers around the rest of the field. Like traditionally Stephen Kenny when he was um, at his peak before he became an Ireland manager wouldn't have played with the three centre backs. So perhaps at some point he goes back to not playing three centre backs. But I think at the moment, particularly against France given that that's the formation that we've played most under the almost entirely since um, he went to three at the back. Mm. We'll play three at the back and we'll have... Uh, I I think we'll play through at the back. I, I, it was there's only pick a paper in the, a team in the papers today, and it wasn't. I'd be amazed if he didn't. But um, then you can play somebody up front with Ferguson, and Obafemi oh, come off the bench and scored at the weekend. Yeah. So it, scoring like they're all they're all coming into a little bit of form. Yeah, but it has to be like who's the best partner for Evan Ferguson because mm. he's the standout crop, uh, the standout player in that crop of of young talent coming through. And, like, you know, get him in the team. When when Robbie Keane was Robbie Keane at a similar age, like, is it fair to say Evan Ferguson is actually more advanced? He might be a year behind because Robbie was 17, but Robbie was doing it in the Championship and then went to Italy and then came back to Coventry. Like, this is actually in the Premier League at 18. Top half team. And, okay, fairness, last night was in the Cup. I get it, it was against Stoke, but, um, you know, he's he's
0: it's still consistency though as well yeah
4: and he's a he's a fixture in a team that has Premier League resources and Premier League scouting and the pick of the world's best young talent oh like Brighton could go and spend 30 million on a striker if they wanted to but they ain't doing it. No. Because they've got this guy. They don't need him. I'm sure. The Zerbi spoke so glowingly about him after the match last night. They were like, he I has- didn't see that.
5: So This is unique. He is very, very unique in his talents. Like the, the work he does off the ball, the movement he has as well. And he demonstrates a game on game. That's four goals in, in nine, I think, for, for Evan, five for the season. Like, and of course, he had the injury as well. So he's just coming to form at the right time. Even for his celebration last night, you're seeing Saicedo and World Cup winner Alexis McAllister coming over and high-fiving him. You're thinking. This guy is getting so much unbelievable experience week on week. We're going to benefit from it. Is he
0: the most consistent performer in the Irish squad at the moment?
5: Has at, to be isn't at
0: he? that level.
4: Certainly at that level. Well, the other one who is consistently good week in week out at the moment is James Coleman, Coleman yeah. who hasn't been a fixture in the team even when you know it, there's been bits where he's been injured and he hasn't been picked. And um, so I think he's got to go straight back in the team as well. Uh, there's some talk that we might get game time from Doherty this weekend. Mm. I still think that uh, my favourite team would be Doherty, left wing-back, James Coleman, right wing-back, and then you've got uh, Collins, even though he's not playing football at the moment, in the team as well, uh, adding an extra body in midfield when you need it. But then, like, who, who are your midfielders? So Malumby's back uh, was dropped, got back in the team, and seems to be a favourite son as well of, of Stephen Kenny. Um, Maybe we'll get Nathan to pick his team over the next few days.
5: The exact quotes from, from the Zerby last night, interestingly, of, of Ferguson, he said, he is unique for us in terms of quality, in terms of characteristic. He knows very well the way to score. I think he can and he has to improve in the quality of his play in ball possession to keep the ball better. But he is 18, he is born in 2004 and he will improve for sure because I know the guy, I know his passion, his attitude and I have no doubt. So he's doing the right thing. He's he's like saying he can improve here, keep his feet in the ground, but um, clearly a fan of his. 2004. I know, it's kind of scary, isn't it? Jesus, 2004. Is that the year United. No, Man United signed Cristiano Ronaldo the previous year. Just to put things into context, like 2004.
0: I feel like anyone born after 2000 is just
5: <laughs> not a real person. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be in discos anyway. For sure, that's no, that's terrifying.
0: It is interesting though that Deserbi says that because that's when. Like, Evan Ferguson went on his run at scoring a while ago, and we had Jasmine Baba on. And I know she said it at the time. She compared him to the likes of Haaland and Mbappe, and she kind of broke down like what the differences were with Ferguson. And she said the exact same things in terms of him being a much more all round scorer than a lot of those players. You know, he's not just a poacher, he actually does quite a lot off the ball. So mm. it was interesting that Deserbi sees that as well and is actually saying it.
4: Jared O'Connell in the comments says, ooh, Evan is a place on earth. Uh, that's, I mean, we we this is a... This See is you
0: all in the Aviva second that. Well, this is
4: <laughs> like, we need something. Because there's only one keynote was like Roy Keane. And then obviously some people did it for Robbie. And then the keynote chant worked for both of them. But I'd say Robbie always felt a little bit like, well, can I not get my own chant here? I mean, like, I'm literally the greatest goal scorer this country is ever going to produce. <laughs> can you not just like make something up for me that... So, that is the challenge. What is what is our... Um, we what don't want to do chants, do we, at international... Evan Ferguson chant. Well, well if fan culture is definitely growing. and It, it is. R- rapidly. So,
5: We've got to have more chants. Like, United fans have, we all love Alex Ferguson chant. We could adopt it. It could work. I don't know if they throw the knighthood in front of it, maybe, and that's why it works rhythmically. They well, probably well, throw so a what, Sir Alex Ferguson in there. What We could just take it for, for Evan Ferguson. yellow submarine. Oh, I don't know what the... I don't know what the chant, the tune is. Maybe someone in the comments can, can let us know. But we, yeah, maybe we do have to have a chant for for some of our players. We don't do it enough. I've heard the
0: Seamus Coleman, you know, sixty grand, sixty grand, a couple of times. That's oh, the Everton yeah.
4: one. Oh, is that? I've
5: oh, never sorry. heard that one. Sorry.
0: Or that- for uh, Ireland as well for the women. I got the we, order.
4: I got the order that all wrong. It's um, it's uh, Wolves Coventry Inter as opposed to Wolves Inter Coventry. He goes back from Inter to oh, Leeds. So is what. Um, Still not a bad start to a career. Yeah. Oh, well, how long did he have in the Premier League before he went to Inter? No, I'm just gonna just do a quick here. Uh, it's, Maybe it's, we
0: should have a competition for the, the chants.
4: Yeah, get
5: an Ferguson a couple, chant going.
0: Yeah. Get a couple of people on air. Do like a little competition, get the YouTube comments to decide what's the best ones. Yeah. If anyone has them, send them in to us on Twitter. Or else you can Because
5: football fans are very, very unique. They come up with great I, I actually think clubs now meet up. I'm sure it's the same with Arsenal as Man United and Liverpool. League of Ireland clubs I'm sure do it as well with a meet up and genuinely come up with chance of meetings bring a few to to, to it yeah Yeah, that works that doesn't
0: so it's been an interesting one because like in women's football there's less of a culture of it a little bit but they've tried to create a bit more and this is literally what fans do like they meet up week to week and they get like little kids involved and they get them to make up their own chance like I remember there was one for a little girl made up one for Beth Mead during the Euros and she went all the way to Wembley with it so yes
5: you need that like as soon as a player starts doing well because Marcus Rashford didn't have one and then United fans were like okay we got to get on this so now they have one for him uh, he had one season
4: he had one season at Coventry in the Premier League Robbie Keane um, when he was 20 19 turning 20 um, ah, Evans ahead of him Yeah, like uh, now Robbie had three seasons before that in, yeah, in the yeah. championship and was uh, banging in the goals at a ratio of one every three games but uh, he's, you know you would say these are uh, similar um, in terms of the, the time of arrival so look we are getting carried away of course we are because you're supposed to get excited about this, this is I keep telling everybody to listen this is the whole point about <laughs> loving sport because a lot of your other teams are going to let you down
5: mm. there's going to be difficulties and pe- people give out about the fact that we compare the likes of Evan Ferguson to other players like why are you comparing him to Robbie why are you comparing him to Henri or whoever you, you kind of have to there has to be a barometer there we have to decide how far ahead or behind schedule he is
4: we're not saying he's going to necessarily reach those levels, but well, we hope he does. Let's compare him to Troy Parrott and to Obafemi and to everybody else who has come through in that kind of group where we're like, oh, we're, uh, we're, yeah. we're you know They've all got a taste of, uh, well, Parrott hasn't, of, of Premier League um, experience properly mm. and have not been at this level. So uh, he's way ahead of all of those. And that's why I think you're building a team around him because... You know, again, you, maybe you don't announce to the public that you're building the team around him and you don't tell him you're building the team around him. No. But if you're Stephen Kenny over the next while, you're like, if we can just get him to do this for us, then we're going to be in every game. It's a, I, think, I think Stephen Kenny should adopt
5: the 2013 Claire Hurling All-Ireland tactic of whispering to Shane O'Donoghue the morning of the match. Oh, by the way. You're in. You're in. And then he scores scores a hat-trick. Do that the, just the morning of the France game or maybe an hour or two before kick-off and just be like, Evan, by the way, you're... Uh, yeah,
4: you're you're starting against France. Who's the Tony Kelly in this though? Who's the one who's <laughs> like the the hurler of the year? Um Will Smallbone didn't start the game last night for Stoke by the way. He oh, came off come off the bench. On. Stoke made a lot of changes. Eight changes from the weekend for mm. the game against Millwall. And obviously they're in a relegation battle. Uh and they're not I mean kind of safe. But you think that maybe you put the team out the full team out for Yeah. For it's like it's Brighton. You would know? have
5: thought so lads, it's Brighton. Um I yeah, and and Brighton surprisingly, and I only realised that last night have never won a major trophy. <laughs> so like Brighton now into a last eight of the FA Cup with Evan Ferguson leading the line. You know, like, there's I know City are still left in the competition, but
4: so two more games they have to win before the semis.
5: That's it, like yeah, and and it's we'll, well win win the next game and you're into the semis. So Sorry,
4: it's quarterfinals next. Quarterfinals next. Yeah, yeah, fifth, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fifth round last night. So. Um, Uh, we will accept him not getting a hat-trick against France that's acceptable says Jim Sullivan I know it was obviously (laughs) uh, pressure makes diamonds says Chucky and Alba I think the only tickets left the 175 quid ones uh, Super Ken 354 says okay I hadn't checked that since but uh, I thought it was bundles that you get for the two games
5: um, sorry just, Shane O'Donnell who did I say someone commented Shane O'Donnell I don't know who I said Shane
4: O'Donnell who
5: Shane O'Donnell of course was the score of that golf effort. commentator
4: yeah <laughs> uh, Adrian McGrath says people who say Precious Retires never did anything important in their lives <laughs> uh, is, that not, is that not is Precious Retires not a, like a Ruby Walsh thing is it Ruby had a decent career you know you you would say that maybe like one of the all time great careers in his sport uh, say he did some, some stuff he was decent yeah. Uh, seriously, chill out, says NTV, who <laughs> is um, the constant wet blanket of our uh, our comments. You're laying too much pressure on the lad. Let him grow and flourish. This is how you make superstars. In Norway, they never pressurized Haaland. Haaland, did they not? How, how did th- I'm sure they. I did. don't
0: think that's true.
4: Have we not all heard about Erling Haaland since, like, he was since, yeah, filmed, filmed in the background kicking the ball at no <laughs> behind his not?
0: father.
5: Yeah, for sure. 100%. There's pressure putting all young players that starts scoring goals. Well,
0: it's kind of like you were saying as well, though. Like, if he comes out, if, like, we do build a team around Ferguson or say, like, he does start against France and he doesn't have a great game, I don't think anyone's actually going to turn around and be like, oh, well, that's him written off. We might as well just give up on the hope now. Like, he's still mm. performing well. We can't expect him to necessarily come into the Ireland squad and pull off a miraculous performance and, I don't know, somehow score and let us win against France. Like, I don't think anyone is expecting that.
5: I'm excited, guys. I'm very, very excited.
4: We should start picking the team for this. We're going to pick. Uh, we're going to pick the team for the World Cup a little bit later on. Mm. You've. Um, are you prepared, Kathleen? For the like, you're going to have to go and interview some of these people who you're dropping from your squad.
0: Yeah, so I was kind of half thinking that one or two players did mention it to me last week when I was in Marbella that they had actually watched the power rankings and seen it back, and I got a few texts about it afterwards. So I'm slightly concerned, but. Uh, this is it's all in good faith. It's all in good faith.
4: <laughs> the um, the uh, just trying to choose my words properly. The veterans of the Irish football press pack lament the time when they used to be able to go on the piss with the Ireland footballers back in the Jack Charlton era, and they got to know them really well. And there was very few of them, and they were they were mates. And so uh, you are in that sweet spot now, where everything is great because we've just qualified for the World Cup, but very soon you're going to have to, like, drop some of them from your World Cup squad, Kathleen, and that's going to be difficult.
0: Yeah, well, like we were even talking about it the last time we kind of ranked the squad and we met, we talked about it on Koi Gig as well and, say, Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne are both very strong in the fact that they're not all that approving of the fact that uh, there are a couple of girls being brought into the squad now on Irish passports who haven't played there before and said that their Vera Powell might have... Uh, a bit of a not a revolution on our hands, but like there might be a couple of people who are upset within the squad who actually go to the World Cup, even not talking about the ones who aren't picked. The fact that she's brought in these players and the veterans are being left at home, uh, but I think there's a very real chance of that happening at the moment. Like we'll talk about it a bit more later, but uh, I think it's the sort of thing that you have to just remove all emotion from. And if we want to get yeah. any sort of results,
5: you, you gotta pick the best players available.
4: Well. The- you know, you do 100%. It's a World Cup. Yeah, but also there's like a bit where uh, how how much of the dilettante are you. Like, so. Do so so you guys
0: read Dennis Walsh's piece yesterday in the Irish Times? Uh, uh, he basically was having this exact argument and comparing it to like Irish teams of old and <laughs> how certain managers approached it and the managers that dropped the veteran players and regretted it in later years are the ones who stuck with them and went, yeah, no, this is this is my plan. I think what I got from the piece in general was just like you commit to your choices and maybe you make a mistake down the line, but you make the mistake early. You don't leave it to like the day before you're going to a tournament or something to to pull someone out of a squad.
4: I think... It depends, right? If you're if you're dropping players who are at the fringe, who aren't going to get any game time, mm. then it doesn't really matter. But if you're bringing in... So McAteer had a, an impact um, and he hadn't been part of the squad. Uh, Phil Babb had an impact and he hadn't been part of the qualifying squad um, in 94. And obviously Gary Kelly is a, a completely different scenario than the two lads who had to go and find passports and... Um, and discover their eligibility. And that's kind of the situation that we're talking about here. I don't think if you know, if she was to parachute in somebody who was playing in the um, WSL or if Sarah Rowe, for example, was to parachute in, I think that's a bit different from us finding Americans who are Irish qualified. If they're going straight in the team, then I think it's more acceptable. But if they're coming in to take a place on the bench for players who have been through the campaign and through the previous campaign, that is going to cause unrest. And that unrest may not be worth it. You're saying you've got to pick the best players, but if it's like the difference between the 18th and the 21st best player or the 18th and the 24th best player, like, that doesn't matter. I I,
0: don't know if I agree with that though, because like, the thing we've always said about this Irish squad is that we lack depth and we lack... That consistency in that you, and that's something that Vera Powell has actually been very good at, at like bringing in players, whether it's people from the championship. And I'm not necessarily talking about the players who have just come in in the recent, most recent camp. I'm talking about like players that she's brought in from the championship who've already been on the outskirts and actually, like a Lily Ag, she wasn't all that important to the squad a couple of months ago, but now she's like pushing for that certain spot with someone like Rusha Littlejohn who has been consistent in the team. And I think. If you're bringing in a player who's okay, either in the starting squad or pushing for that place or is the sort of person that you bring on on like 60 minutes when you just need a fresh pair of legs, I understand that there is unrest in the squad that you need to... Is debi- that
4: is that not like, so they're on the verge of the first team if they're getting minutes? I, I guess there's... So in a World Cup squad, there's going to be three games, right? And uh, we, we'll probably use 16, maybe 18 players. So there's five who are just along... Whether we like it or not, they're literally just
0: uh, and well. It's also tackling outfield and players as well. Like two of those are going to be goalies.
4: Yeah, like is it really worth upsetting the squad dynamic for somebody who like by all means get them into the squad now, mm. uh, get them committed to you, and then over the next two years integrate them into the team if they're going to make it. But is is the AG situation not exactly somebody who is? Uh, making a difference in the first team and so therefore everybody accepts that say say Ag wasn't good enough but was like okay and was the 19th best player but was taking the place of somebody who'd been in the squad for the last couple of years as opposed to somebody who's pushing for the team I guess that's the level where you really need to be careful about what the team dynamic is because like uh, whether we like it or not the national identity seems to be an important thing for this group they were singing Uah Updara in the change rooms after qualifying like were they? I didn't hear about that you know um, there's a there's a delicate ecosystem here where you're like okay you need to be careful here.
5: Squad dynamic is in the same uh, frame of mind as momentum. I mean it it exists in 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 the sense that kind of exists. So, you know it, it's a thing that well you see in going into the th- 2002 World Cup Ireland had a great squad dynamic. It was brilliant. But all it takes is one chink in the armor and then it all dissipates. It, like the squad dynamic will be built around whatever squad is picked. Like the best twenty what three players. We'll exactly. go to we'll go to the World Cup, and that will be the squad dynamic forevermore. I think they'll they'll get used to it, and whoever's number twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, they are they will be desperately unlucky, and they will never uh, live it down for the rest of their of their lives, I'd imagine. But that's football. That's tough luck. That's life. You don't always get what you want. So I think Vera probably just picks the best twenty three players, goes to the World Cup, and then at least we can turn around and say, oh, "Well, we we gave it our all. We picked the best team. We picked the best squad." Leave no stone
4: unturned. I think that's the attitude she's taken. I, I agree with the leave no stone unturned. I'm just saying that it's not a uh, automatic slam dunk that um, you're you're guaranteed. So anyway, I, I wish you the very best, uh, Kathleen. Picking. Thank you. <laughs> no Thank pressure, you. by the way. Yeah.
5: Dropping I think we've uh,
0: set that up nicely for it to have this exact same argument in about like an hour's time. <laughs> yeah.
5: So pressure on Kathleen and Evan Ferguson this morning. Uh,
4: Keir Hudson's picked her team. Bazunu, Coleman, Collins, Egan, O'Shea... Doherty, Cullen, Mulumbi, Obafemi, Ferguson, Ogbeni. Whoa, this is uh, pretty attacking. Where's your Where's your terrier fielder there? Um, so we're going with a front three of Ogbeni, Ferguson, and Obafemi, with Mulumbi and Cullen. Uh, so it's a five-two-three. Hmm. Wow. I mean, you know what?
0: It's a sort of attacking mindedness we've been asking for for a long time. So
4: you're going out. You're dying on your shield there, Kira.
5: We're never going to go for that, are we? You can't play all three of, of Benny Obafemi and, and Ferguson. I mean, you, you, I'd love to see it in a friendly. 100% in a friendly, yeah. yeah. Do it against Latvia a few days before if you want. Try it out. Um, but maybe not for the French game.
4: The last, I just don't know.
0: Well, if we're already admitting we're going to lose
4: it. I like The other thing is that you can push Co- uh, Collins and or O'Shea into midfield whenever we have the ball and whenever we don't have the ball. So it's not necessarily a flat. If you're being really smart about it, and also, like, Doherty has played that wing-back role, does understand what it means to step in and, mm. and create extra bodies. Um, I mean, I'd certainly be very excited about it. And maybe the thing to do against France is to attack the shit out of them. Like, it wasn't there wasn't there a lot of praise for Scaloni mm. in the way that he took on that game? Mm. Uh, certainly in the first half, and that actually... It required a change from Deschamps in the second half to get France back into the game. And like maybe if you're operating at that level, obviously they've got a very significantly higher calibre of player. But, you know, we've got our own Leo Messi now, right?
0: <laughs>
5: How many players has he been, been compared to this morning? I can't get Belinda Carlyle out of my head, by the way. Evan is a place on earth. Um, yeah, if anyone comes up with any better chance, please let us know.
4: All right. It's uh, 7.57 this morning. You're watching OTBAM. We're very glad that you're with us. If you want to get in touch, you can uh, get us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Uh, you can also, of course, uh, WhatsApp us 0879 180. 180 is the WhatsApp number. Keith Wood's going to join us in 20 minutes. We've got John Duggan with us at 8.45. Jonathan Wilson's up next, by the way, if you want to talk football. Uh, we've got the uh, power rankings for the women's national team at 8.55. Phil Healy's going to join us at 9.15 ahead of the European Indoor Athletics Championships and we'll play some Graham Hunter goodness out on the show at half past nine this morning. Jonathan, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Um, look, we're, we're uh, losing the run of ourselves because Evan Ferguson scored again last night. And, <laughs> uh, my argument is that in football you should lose the run of yourself. That's the whole point. If you're going to be involved in supporting a team, you should support them. And when things are going well, you should get really into it.
6: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And he's obviously a phenomenal talent and somebody he's well worth getting excited about.
4: Uh, can you give us like a, an honest broker opinion? Because like, we are literally carried away. We cannot see the wood for the trees here. Like We've literally compared him to every every one of the world's best strikers in the last 25 minutes in the show. So uh, how, how good is he?
6: I mean, he's potentially very, very good. Um yeah you know, he he's very young so you've got to you've got you've to gotta be careful about that but he seems very level headed he he seems to have that appetite to to develop his game uh which i think is is the you know is the real key thing at this age that he's not sort of thinking right i've, I've cracked it that that there does seem to be that desire to continue his education to continue to improve um you know I, there's not many players i think who've uh, come into the game so quickly and, 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 sorry, and, and so quickly seems so comfortable. Um, so adept at so many facets of it. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it's, it's indicative of just how gifted he is that when he was on the receiving end of that terrible tackle from, uh, it was from Fabinho, wasn't it? it was in the Liverpool game. Yeah. You know, I, I sort of thought, ah, that's a, yeah, you know, even though I've got no, yeah, I don't particularly care about him or Ireland or Brighton. There was a sense of disappointment. I'm not going to be able to watch him for the next few weeks. So I really hope he gets over that soon. So, yeah, I think yeah, physically he's very, very good. Technically he's very, very good. And, and perhaps most importantly, mentally and temperamentally, he seems very, very good.
4: Yeah, it, the, the last point on this before we get on to what we actually got you on to talk about, um, the bit where he is so young and has come through so quickly, like it's shocking, really. It, it, it seems like a complete outlier in how the Premier League does its business now because they're they're scouting all of the world's best young players and they generally don't come through until twenty twenty one, twenty two. And even then they tend to come through in another league before they get the opportunity in the Premier League.
6: Yeah, and I think um I think I, I touched on a much wider point about youth development and the, the slight issue the Premier League has that really the Premier League needs teams like Brighton, Brentford, Fulham uh, to be you know, at least one or two of that that sort of stature of club to be doing well, because that allows these young players to be thrust into it. Whereas if he was at a you know, Liverpool or a Chelsea or Manchester United, maybe that 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 way would be blocked, and he'd have to go out on loan, and, and he wouldn't be getting his chance in a team playing well. And I think that's the key point. You know, he could be thrust in playing for Watford or Norwich or whatever, but if you're in a team playing poorly, you're feeding on scraps. I mean. Um, you could draw a comparison, it's not quite exact, but with, with Ella Sims, who was on loan in Sunderland earlier this season, first half of the season, got seven goals in 17 games, particularly when he was playing in front of Ross Stewart, looked incredibly bright. Uh, then he's gone to Everton, you know, Everton recalled him from Malone and he's struggled for opportunities. And when he has got his chance, he's been wandering around up front while it's, while they whack long balls at him. And, you know, physically, he looks like that type of player, but, yeah, he played best alongside a, a big man at Sunderland, alongside Ross Stewart, and I think he's he, you know he's there's more to his game than that, but he's not able to express that at Everton because they're never going to play with two forwards. So yeah, the the, the the sort of mid-ranking team slightly overperforming gives an opportunity for players to to be fast tracked that they wouldn't get at the bigger clubs where. There's probably seven or eight players vying for that position with him of a similar age. Which brings us nicely to the situation at uh, Chelsea where they have acquired
4: some of the best young talent in world football. uh, A lot of it in the same position and now they can't really find a blend that is functional at the moment. Uh, Are there significant problems with the way Chelsea are going about their ambition or beyond the the identity of the manager and the the transfer policy or is this all going to work itself out over the next 18 months what what's your um
6: what's your instinct about what's going on there um on, on the one hand i'm so sort of quite excited by a team trying something new um and this this idea of you know we go out and we sign you know, six seven eight players aged roughly 20 and we pay a lot of money for them, and we give them long contracts, and this is the next decade of a club. I, I sort of see the appeal of that. However, at every stage, I, I, I see that. I mean, the first one is if this works, why has nobody done it before? Uh, but I guess that's the nature of revolutions. So by definition, they haven't been done before. Um, the second point is football just doesn't really work like that. You, there's, there's no sort of, you know, in other businesses, you can buy an asset and you have a relative confidence that it, it, it will appreciate. Um, I just don't think players, I don't think it's as straightforward as that, that form and injuries and fitness, um, the, the, the team they're in has, has, has such a bearing on, on what their value is, uh, both in financially and in terms of what they deliver on the pitch, that I think it's very, very hard to predict where a player, however promising now, where he'll be in three, four, five years. I think giving players long contracts, while it gives you the security that the players the other clubs aren't going to come in and, and poach them from you because you can you can drive the value up. Well realistically who can afford to buy Chelsea's players? There's not many clubs there. And I think there's a massive danger that you get loaded with with players who, for whatever reason, haven't quite developed as as you'd hope. Um and, and you're then draining wages. And I know that the wages are relatively low and it's very heavily incentivized and it's it's really about bonuses. But if that's a liability for seven or eight years, that's a problem. Also, we've seen with a huge number of players that they almost need to be coming into towards the end of their, their contract to be entering a period of renegotiation to to be fully motivated. That it's quite easy. Oh, you know, eight years. I can just sit here. I don't need to be playing for for my future. Um, but also, there's just a more fundamental problem uh, that the, I guess splits into two. So one is if you bring in. I mean, however many players they brought in, a dozen or so at once, it's really hard to get them to settle. And and, we've seen that um, when Fulham came up the last time, that no matter how good those players are, it takes some time to settle and getting the blend right is really difficult. And secondly, you need a blend of ages in the squad um, that you can't just shove out... Eight players aged 21 or under. They need some experienced players there to help guide them. And so that's why the whole history of football, the best clubs, yeah, yes, they bring in young players, but they bring them in in, you know, three or four. They'll, 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 they'll push through. And then ideally you'll have three or four in their mid twenties and and three or four touching 30 who've seen it all before. And, and then the one learns from the other. And and the the sort of, you get the blend of the energy and the enthusiasm of youth and the benefit of the experience of, of, of the older players. Um, so I, I think it's a it's a chaotic situation anyway, and then thrust into that you've got Graham Potter, who I think is a very very good manager. He, he's he's shown incredible, I think, emotional intelligence right the way through from the ninth tier of English football, the Ghana women's team, uh, you know, uh, uh, an amateur side essentially in Sweden with Swansea with Brighton. Yeah, every stage he's he's adapted and he's changed his approach and it's worked and there's no reason to think the Brighton is his ceiling, but he's a player he's a manager who is always, you know, when you're coming from Brighton to a a big six or big seven side, there'll always be that slight question mark, and obviously the start he's had, those those doubts are magnified, and I think fans have have significantly lost faith, and from what we hear, players. Still, do believe in him, and, and you know, do you still appreciate him? And his, his calmness seems to make him very popular. Um, but you do wonder how long that will endure if, if, if form continues to be as poor as it is, and he could easily find himself drummed out before he's really had a chance to, to get his feet under the table in a very, very difficult situation.
5: It's ironic, Jonathan, that we're talking about Evan Ferguson when his, when his former manager, Graham Potter, needs a needs a striker right now. They've got they've got a goal in one goal in six games. I think um, it is so. Will he be given? Are you led to believe he'll be given a, a bit of a leash to pre season until Christopher Nkunku comes in? Or is his job actually under threat in the next number of weeks?
6: I, I think that's very difficult to say. And everything we hear from the club is no, no, we've got patience. We don't need to qualify for the season. All of that is, is priced in. We're not worried about it. Uh, everything you hear coming out of the dressing room, you know, in Chelsea, historically, has been a very leaky dressing room and a, 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 a dressing room that has turned on previous managers. I haven't seen any evidence of that yet. You hear certain things from players that they they appreciate that uh when they've come back from injury Potter has been very patient about um putting them back in the side whereas previous managers maybe would have rushed them back and risked fur- further injury. He's been very much you know let's get this right. Let's let's make sure that that you're not going to break down again. Um and I th- I think you know in Galla Kanté's eagerness to sign a new contract having been um uh skeptical about that. I think that's evidence of how how he feels comfortable with Potter. But they've only scored uh was it four goals this calendar year? Um yet yeah, won two of the last seventeen games. Um you know, you know eventually those doubts are going to set in. And, and I think the, the the worry for me, is, as somebody who, who broadly thinks Potter's quite a good thing and is is quite a good manager and and, and may well do well at a big, a big club in the future, uh, is his team selections now. They they, and maybe this is inevitable when you've got a squad as big as the one he's got. But there doesn't seem much consistency there. I'm, I'm struggling to see what he's building towards. It does slightly feel as if he's just sort of grabbing at options and hoping something sticks. And it may be that he does have a long-term plan and we just don't see it. But at the moment, I'd be slightly concerned about how many changes he's making, how consistently. But he's starting to look like a manager who doesn't quite know what he's doing. Is there an attacking structure to the Potter uh, body of work
4: that is identifiable at the moment?
6: Um, I mean, I think he's always been a manager who, a little bit like Guardiola, uh, likes control, um, and obviously at, at smaller clubs, that's had to be tempered. Um, that there's only so much control a, a Brighton or a Swansea, uh, are going to have. Um, I think there is that big concern that, you know, his, his, his failing at Brighton was they, they didn't score enough goals, that they underperformed their XG quite significantly. Um, and then I, I guess you're left with the question of is he just un- and that's obviously what's happening at Chelsea, that, um, I think of the 10 games since the World Cup, they've had the better XG in seven of them now. So, yeah, they've, they've picked up league games. I'm talking about they've picked up 10 points in most league games. The XG would suggest they should have 20. And if they had 10 more points, then they'd absolutely be in the, the race for top four. And we, we probably wouldn't be, be expressing these doubts. But is he just unlucky that at Brighton and at Chelsea, he's had a team without a goal scoring centre forward? Or is there something deeper about the way he plays that? he his team's create chances that for for some reason get you a good xg score but don't actually produce goals my suspicion is the former but it's not unreasonable I think to wonder if it might be the latter and and that, that's why uh yeah you, you hope he does get a chance with with Nkunku, with with a proven goal scorer but it may be that the damage by then is done if you've had 6 months of not winning games then it's, it's understandable that players, lo- if players lose a bit of faith in you and, and, and start sort of uh, disobeying the game plan, start doing their own thing, thinking that, that they know better than the manager. And once that starts to happen, then then you've got big problems.
5: It's funny. I was reading an article in one of the Irish uh, papers, the Irish Independent, from Column Keyes, this morning, talking about the the Derry GEA squad in Gaelic football, how it's it's uh, on purpose very very lean this year, and how that's leading to success on the pitch. Graham Potter has the opposite problem, Jonathan. I think it's a, thir- a first-team squad of 31 players. There's talk that it's impacting training as well, where he's having to adapt training to improvise and have smaller groups and keep everyone involved. Like, It's a matter of time before a squad that size leads to morale issues, surely.
6: Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, and and it's, you know, this is, again, if you're looking for Xizos for Potter, there's plenty there. You know, when he arrived, they had you know, a dozen players out to injury and he was you know, down to the bare bones. And they've gone almost immediately from this sort of skeletal squad to this incredibly bloated squad where in any given week he could put out another two teams as well as the one he does put out. And I think, A, that confuses his thinking. But, yeah, as you say, if if players aren't regularly getting in, in the side, then they're going to be asking questions. Now, I guess the advantage of them being young is maybe those questions aren't quite as loud as if they were 26, 27. But still, if you're a player who's been playing regularly for you know, whether it be in Ukraine or the Netherlands, and you've moved for 30 odd million, 80 odd million, and you're not getting a regular game, you're going to be thinking, well, what, what have I actually done? Why, why have I come here? And of course, you've also then got added to that. There's essentially three different tranches of this squad. So there's a the squad that was there before Bowley arrived, there's the, 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 the sort of the, 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 the 250 million pounds of the player signed last summer under Tuchel. And all of them must be thinking, well, why have I come here? I came for Tuchel and Tuchel explained it to me and these were Tuchel's plans. And we know Tuchel was very involved in that process. And a you know, week after that window closes, in comes a different manager. And now this manager's had 350 million quid spent as well. So, yeah, there's three different sections of you a know, or, or squad's been built up over three different periods, none of which seem to tally with any of the others. So... um. Yeah, you know, I, 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 the problem is obviously not the depth of the squad. I'm just not convinced it's been put together particularly intelligently. And I, I think when you bring in that many players, it, it's, it, it's, it's as if they tried to take a shortcut to the process. It's, it's like, I don't know, you, you, you start playing championship manager, you've got a massive budget and you just go out and buy all the 20 year olds because you think they'll all develop at once. But yeah, you know, real life's just not that easy. You know, it, it, evolution of players is not automatic they they need to be brought through and they, they need people to guide them and they need that evolutionary process
4: uh, Football obviously and football fans is a, a, a constant world of comparison and well how are they doing and we know that we have the league table which is the, the ultimate comparison but there was also a trophy lift at the weekend where Manchester United have turned their season around under Eric Ten Hag and I mean, it's obviously a very different CV that Ten Hag has to to Potter, but by comparison, those players at Manchester United who were previously failing under um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and and managed before that now look like they are not just competent, but also, uh, in some cases, much better players than they were previously. So that's what a good manager can do to a squad, irrespective of the size of it. It doesn't help Potter that Ten Hag is being quite so successful at the moment, does it?
6: Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, I mean I'm not sure the comparison yeah, you know, it's not an entirely direct comparison that, that I think um the the United squads uh well yeah, you know, with three or four players coming in the summer it's made it look very different and I think more importantly one player leaving. Um but I think the speed with which Ten Hag's been able to sort that out is is incredibly impressive. You think how bad they were in that defeat to Brentford. But that, that does show how quickly these things can turn. If if, if Potter gets his centre-forward in, if he does get them scoring goals. Um, I mean, you know, they've scored fewer goals than any other professional team in England this year. That's not normal. That's not right. So there's, there's something that's, I think, beyond Potter. There's just a weirdness there. If that disappears, if he does find it the right structure... It could be that, the in six months, this all suddenly looks very good. That I think we've seen with Arsenal and Arteta, things can change very quickly. It only takes one or two things in the squad to be slightly different. And suddenly a lot of other players can look a lot better as well. No, I think that's one of the, one of our failings as a football culture that we're far too quick to, to judge players and say, Oh, yeah, he's not up to that level or, um, you know, he should be getting in the England team when actually it's to do with the structure that they're in that, that, there's very few players in the Premier League who are actually bad players. It, it's it's just can you get the most out of them? I think Potter's struggling to do that at Chelsea at the minute, partly because of the size of a squad and, and partly because yeah the 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 sort of general atmosphere of of despair and frustration. So much money has been spent and and and, and so little has been delivered on the pitch.
5: And, and I know Grand Potter has a couple of top recruitment specialists apparently alongside him. But if you if you compare that recruitment at Chelsea and United. And even away from the pitch you think of characters and personalities I mean you look at the likes of, of Casemiro or Varane or Martinez at, at, at Old Trafford like, Casemiro's won how many Champions Leagues and yet the biggest celebration at the weekend was when he shepherded the ball out for a corner and he's all of a sudden given it large to the to the United fans behind the goal like clearly Tin Hag and United's recruitment has been based on players that have that attitude uh, off the pitch that they have something a bit of personality whereas maybe that's something that the Chelsea
6: recruitment has been lacking is that that may be harsh or is it fair I, I think it's an inevitable danger when you sign so many young players. So I mean you look at Enzo Fernandez, for instance, you can't doubt his will to win. Mm. Um yeah, I think Casemiro is is an exceptional signing, but they paid sixty million for a player, you know, who's got five years left, maybe maximum. Whereas Chelsea paid hundred and five million for a player who's maybe got fifteen years left. So yeah, it is, but you're right. It is a danger. If you bring in young players, you don't quite have that, that drive and that confidence. But I, you know, I think you look at Fernandez and you think, yeah, no, he's a, he's a really, really good player. He's, he's, he's yeah? You know, is he worth 105 million? I, these, these are sums I, I really, you know, I struggle to understand. Is he an exceptional footballer? Yes. You know, his capacity to find space, his touch, his passing allied to that aggression. Yeah, I think he's yeah. You imagine he, him and Kante playing together in the back of midfield, and you think right, any opposing creator, that's a really terrifying force. And Fernandes can create as well. And Kante can make those driving runs. So I, I you know, I, I think there's there's plenty of potential there with, with Chelsea, but um it's it, it's more the spending on those those wide forwards where it's a little bit harder to see why they needed to do that when they already had wide forwards there whether there are other positions they needed to strengthen first. Um but you look at Shield at, at Chelsea, um who's what is he, nineteen, twenty? Uh and you know, when he's played he's he's looked exceptional. Um so you know, it, it's not that the the whole recruitment has been a disaster. It, it's that bringing in so many players at once has created confusion. But certainly Fernandes and Badia Shield I think have I well I, and Joe Felix, albeit only on loan, have have looked I think very, very promising and very impressive.
4: What What is your uh, explanation for why Ten Hag has been so good? What What is it that he's done to make the team so effective that has allowed those players to either overachieve in some cases or fulfil their potential in others?
6: Um, I think he. I mean, he's a proper manager. He's 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 tough. He's got a clear vision of wants what he wants to do. He's smart enough and intelligent enough and brave enough to adapt that when it obviously wasn't working. Um, you know, he tried to play that that Ajax style, the high line, playing out from the back. Then he looked at De Gea and thought, "Yeah, right, that's not De Gea's strength. we will slightly modify that." Um, he's clearly had an influence over recruitment. That he he knew Martinez's abilities and brought him in. Um, I don't know how much say he had over Casemiro, but Casemiro has been a you know huge in terms of filling that hole in the middle of midfield and, and and um projecting his his authority uh the work he's done with with Rashford um yeah you know, whether that's to do with the, the finishing work he's been doing with Benny McCarthy whether it's just been to refocusing and getting him fit after all the injury problems he's had um yeah you know, I think all of that's incredibly impressive but I, I think it's just his his toughness is his willingness to impose discipline uh and I think you know yes he's got a better better CV than Potter, it's not not entirely fair. He's worked at a higher level than Potter, but there's plenty of players and managers who've come from the Netherlands who have struggled in the Premier League. It's not that he had enormous European success. He had got to a semi-final, but it's not he'd won European competitions. But to have that steeliness to impose his vision after that Brentford game, to say that you ran, what was it, 13 kilometres less than Brentford, we're doing a 13K run tomorrow, and he then goes out and does it with them. To manage to ease Ronaldo out of the club in a way, I mean Ronaldo, I think, helped with this. But by the time Ronaldo left, it looked like an inevitable decision. There was no way you could keep him there. So politically, he won that battle, and and that's a big thing to do to take on Ronaldo and and, and get him out. And I think he was a massive problem in terms of just drawing all the attention. Um, stories you heard about uh, his disruptiveness and disruptiveness in training his reluctance to fulfil, a, to fulfil certain tactical instructions, you know, getting rid of Ronaldo allowed them to return to a, to a tactical basis. And that's why you feel a bit sorry for Solskjaer, that, that I don't think Solskjaer is anywhere near as good a manager as Ten Hag. But his United at least were able to play on the break, and they, they got good results against big teams by sitting deep and using that pace in forward areas. He gets Ronaldo imposed upon him. They just can't do that. So the one thing that they did well is suddenly taken away from them. Um, but, but Ten Hag has been able to, to, to follow his vision and he's, you know, he's clearly a very, very good manager and he's, he's been allowed to manage. So, um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, then the discipline, the fact that, yeah you know, Rashford playing so well is then late for a meeting and he gets dropped. And that's a message to everybody. It doesn't matter if you score in 15 goals in 15 games. Yeah. You turn up when I tell you to turn up or you're out. And, and, and that, I think, I mean, yeah, it's a, it seems a basic thing, but, but, discipline getting the players to buy in fully uh that's that's hugely important and you saw that buy in with the you know Casemiro celebrating accepting the ball out um he's given them an intelligence and a nastiness you know the they they protected that lead very very cleverly against Newcastle on Sunday against a team who've sort of become noted for their their gamesmanship so they yeah they they've got a structure but they they've also got a a will to win and a personality that's a bit tougher than, than United have been for a decade Jonathan great to have you with us this morning thanks a million cheers
4: cheers thank you that's uh, Jonathan Wilson there really interesting stuff as ever you're watching OTB AM uh, perhaps you're watching us on YouTube and you're subscribed there maybe you're listening to us on uh, OTB Sports Radio however you're with us we're glad you're here you can uh, text us on 0879 180 180 or you can get us on Twitter at am, or leave a comment in the YouTube stream and we're live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. During the break, you're gonna hear from the football pod lads talking about James Carr's goal versus Tyrone. Rivaldo esque. From the depths of James O'Donoghue's um memories of the two thousand and two World Cup. Uh, you're gonna hear um a description of the finishing, which is really interesting, like uh, and probably a prototype for forwards out there. Um, James, I don't know who's giving you finishing advice. You should be listening to this. The Football Pod is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All Ireland Club Championships. Check out the hashtag TheToughest for more.
3: You're listening to OTB AM, AM.
5: Off the ball He's a
0: very, very dangerous player in Scottish football. He's, he's probably he can't be too good for Scottish football, if you know what I mean. He's a fantastic pasta coglu type player. Thibaut
4: Courtois, who was man of the match. Against who? Liverpool. Yeah, well, Liverpool in the Champions League. Well, that's the point, isn't it? James Coleman has gone to the Everfast. Look what I did. How about a Timo, everybody? Look.
5: Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. But I ended up do, getting a WhatsApp a little later with a question okay. that
3: somebody wanted to ask the pod. So I'll ask you who you think it is afterwards. Kevin Coban. Tommy, I want you to ask the lads about a technique in uh, Gaelic football that I've, I think I've mentioned it to you before in the past, Um, James Carr's goal on Saturday, um, great goal it was, great pass from Aidan O'Shea, but look at his technique for finishing the goal. So many of the, uh, the Gaelic players, when I watch them, they always look to get that clean strike, you know, almost on the side foot or get the clean strike, which obviously when you get a clean strike, the ball rises. James Carr struck the ball into the ground. So it, it actually doesn't look like a clean sli- a clean strike, but it was a deliberate strike, I felt, the way that he shot. And I think the keeper then, as he's coming out to make the save, with that clean strike has more chance to make the save because it, it's obviously on the rise, the ball, whereas the way that Carr hit it into the ground, the keeper's actually no chance because he's bouncing under him. Um, I just wondered if that was anything that the lads had thought about. Is that- in terms of finishing when they get one-on-one with the goalkeeper then I'm just interested in that. You, do you get what Kev is getting at here? Um...
6: 100%. I actually do. And I
4: actually go friends with Brian Kelly, the former Kerry goalie. Mm-hmm. He said every save he makes is, is from like hip to shoulder. Yeah. People, when you're going through on goal and you hit it at that height, it's so easy for the keeper to make the save. Whereas if it's on the deck, it could be a scuttery one, but once it hits the deck, it's so hard to save. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar. Elite stuff from uh, James Carr and Kevin Caban and James Dunneau and Paddy Andrews and Tommy Rooney on the football pod. You get that wherever you get your football, uh, whether you get the GAA stream or the football pod in its own stream on podcasts. Uh, A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to say good morning to Keith Wood. Keith, good morning to you. How are you?
1: Uh, Good morning, Chair. How are you getting on?
4: Yeah, good. Before we get into the rugby, we should talk about um, a couple of of notable uh, passings that have happened in the last week. The rugby community was completely shocked by Tom Tierney's passing. And then um, a a legend of Munster in Ireland passed away in the last 24 hours as well.
1: Yeah, Brian O'Brien. I mean, we seem to be having too many of these conversations, to be honest. Um, uh, For Tom first, I mean, Tom was a total shock. uh, 46 years of age is... He's far too young and um he had, he had he had an unbelievable impact actually in in Monster. I mean he was I played with him uh for for a few years with Ireland and with Monster and uh he was pure crack, a scamp. I mean absolute crack all the time. Um and of course he played with Gary Owen for a lot of years as well um but it was his impact on a lot of the young kids and and I know it from my own uh, two youngest um as a um, an Irish coach and and Munster coach in in the development of the young players and a lot of them came out in force yesterday and will again I think tomorrow um at at the funeral but um the impact he had on the young fellas he just he had a joy of the game he lived the game um um they've all been heartbroken actually as as have we, and uh you know you kind of get used to it when you're a bit older and can deal with it, but when you see the anguish on young men's faces when um so when someone that had influenced them so much passes away, so it's look it's a huge loss, huge loss for for Mary and his two daughters um and it's yeah very sad uh Briano. The- Bryno is different. Bryno is older. Um, I'm smiling because I just think of so many parts of his history of, of where they intersect with my own. Um, he was an unbelievable, proud Shannon man, um, crazy Shannon man and, um, became a crazy monster man, became a line selector, Irish selector, president of Shannon Rugby club. Um, manager of Monster Manager of Ireland and I was in the change room the day he he decided to sing um Stand Up and Fight for the first time. I I, I could be getting it wrong, but I think it was after um after a Saracens game in, in but I can't remember for, for certain. And I mean for him to belt out a song like that and hold the whole team and it became part of legend and um um, look, I just think it's, he was a huge servant to the game, but also he was a huge presence. He was fantastic with Ireland as, as manager. Um, worked incredibly well with, uh, with Eddie O'Sullivan was fantastic with Eddie O'Sullivan back in the day. Um, but yeah, very important man for, I will admit, very important man for rugby. Um, very important man to us too. He was a he was um he was a cracking friend.
4: Yeah, beloved of everybody in that Irish setup and all the generations who got to work with him. I think are, are actually echoing your sentiments this morning. So we'd send our condolences to the O'Brien family as well. Um, let's let's look back briefly on the Italy game before we look forward to the Scotland game. Um. It's one of those where Italy are getting loads of credit for how well they played, and and rightly so, and the Ireland team is heavily depleted. So in terms of the lessons that you draw uh, that are like deep-seated and that you're still thinking about in three, six months' time, beyond the squad depth and now as the dust settles, is there much for Ireland that they're going to be like, okay... This is uh, fundamental to how we do our business in the future, or is it more like we, we're understanding more about everything here? This is just a layering on of extra information that we
1: have. Yeah, I think. I mean, you've, you've said a lot in, in, in that question. I look, I look back in the, on the game um, and think we were shorn of a lot of players. I think Italy have improved an awful lot, and in, in, look in times in that I've been. Uh, I mean so downhearted um disheartened by um by Italy's performance in the last few years that they might have a couple of good players would come in and they try and play with a bit of um a, a bit of additional width and flair but they succumb to their discipline problems and uh maybe lack of fitness this year they look entirely different and yet they're not getting the wins so that's very tough for them that wins in the, in the autumn, but not in the six nations. So, um, I think they're on an upward uh, trajectory and I think they're incredibly dangerous. And that's one of the big parts, uh, for them. They've become incredibly dangerous. Um, we were shorn of a lot of players. Uh, I've, I've said often, I just think our structure is, um, is a really good fallback. Um, so I looked at it, and I think the performance was good. It could have been very good. Um, um, you know, the, the try just before halftime kind of changed things a little bit. It took us a long, a long while to fight for it um, for the for the victory. I think there was a risk, um, and I thought we came out the other end of it. So I don't think I'd be entirely happy with the performance, but I would have said that the performance was good enough just about to get the win um away from home against a team that was fresh and uh filled with some level of um um of uh consistency and composure with the exception of the 4 on 2 overlap um uh the brax kicked into the corner you know, that I mean that could have changed things an awful lot but i yeah. thought a lot of players stood up played pretty well um but it just also shows you that there's a, the The differences in the quality of some of our players, um, when they're not there has a drop of a few percent. That few percent can, can mean passes don't go to hand where they're supposed to. It can mean everything is off ever so slightly. But I think the game is invaluable for, for Ireland. You know, like I think they would have learned a huge number of lessons and won. Yeah. and um, there's it, times we learned lessons when we, when we lost <laughs> and that ruined half the season this you is know? a
4: better situation for sure it's definitely a better situation and and those lessons will definitely be absorbed um, James Ryan did a half an hour interview with Joe Malloy and again you can get that in our podcast feed and in the middle of it they were talking about the decision not to kick the points and um, Ryan makes the point like you're talking about uh, outcome we, we think about process and when the review was had we'll ask was the process right in our decision making to kick for the corner he made the point that the first one wasn't a gimme kick for Ross Byrne and Henderson whose job it was to call the line out was confident they were going to win the line out um, and eventually they do get kick the point anyway so uh, it, this is from a, a really nice philosophical uh, position where we get to debate whether or not it was the right thing or the wrong thing and I, I was asking the question on the show yesterday um, does your process have to allow for the information to change in the moment? And I guess specifically I'm asking, is the process always, look, our, our decision is that we are going to win games by scoring more tries than the opposition, and that's fine. It worked really well in New Zealand, and that's kind of the, the bit where they, they stop ticking points and they just kick to the corner because presumably the analytics says the more you kick to the corner, the more often we're going to score tries and, and eventually we'll wear them down. But is there, is there a moment in a championship like this or in a World Cup qualifying pool where those points and the victory are actually more important than the process of overwhelming the opposition with the, the scoring of the tries? And I just am interested in your perspective as a captain.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it's it's necessarily as binary as you put it out as if you do one thing or the other and there, there can be the risk. I, I would look at the... The process that's put in here is built on the confidence of a very large number of players. So, um, the process requires people to be able to, um, to deliver on those parts that have to be delivered to make those decisions correct, you know, and not everything sits in your, in your hands. It, it isn't as if you can do everything you want, um, without the opposition trying to stop you. So, um, I think, as confidence gets higher and higher and higher, I think that's where the idea of the process works. I can't fault that, um, I can't fault that thinking, actually. I can't fault it when, uh, when it's pushing us to levels that we haven't been before. I think at times it becomes uh, kind of scary for fans, actually, to look at it and say, Jesus, no, just kick the ball over the bar. Um, But, in that moment in that time, with the trust that the players have in each other for the delivery of the skill that's required to to get the the score that they're looking for, I think they're right. I think they're confident. I think it's a it seems to be not an eradication of doubt um but an eradication of maybe poor technique a lot of the time and so I think that depends on who's on the on the the field at any moment in time and um if we were to try and read something into James Ryan's comments, it's that the team believe in the team and the squad, no matter who's on there. I think that's where your conversation comes in um, um where it it may be actually you're better off to kick the points at certain times, but you'll know that on the field and you'll gauge it with the with the you know that's there's, there's that spark of confidence that's on the field that may not be visible from off the field. Um, and when that is there, you'll say, yeah, definitely we kick in the corner because we're all up for this. We're all in the right mental space to be able to make this happen. Everybody knows their job. So look, I, I like it. I, I'm, I'm kind of enthralled at the moment with watching, um, Stokes and, um, and uh, McCollum and baseball and cricket that they've totally changed the manner in which they go about it. And they took a risk at the weekend or over the last few days and, and, And lost by one run in one of the great games of cricket. And, but they could have comfortably made it a draw very, very easily. Um, But they went all out to do it. And in that instance, I think they learn an awful lot about themselves and whether they do things differently or not, I don't know. So, um, but I like that. I like the fearlessness that seems to be in this team. And I'd hope that would continue because. Um like we talk about our history in times past of not getting past our quarter final and it would be interesting to do a sort of psychological review on all of those and was there too much of a fear of failure in the midst of that? Well, this is a team that seems to be comfortable with winning and that's a very different landscape for us.
5: Yeah, you can probably do a thesis on Ireland's quarterfinal performances, I think, at, at, the, at World Cups in years gone by. The, Keith, when you're, when you're on that, you are talking even the cricket as well and, and tight games. Andy Farrell will, be, will have been quite pleased that it was maybe a tight win, leads to certainly no complacency going forward. Um, were there any negatives in particular that, that you might have picked out from the performance last weekend? Bundy Aki comes to mind as someone who was um, quite upfront and honest about his own performance after the game, maybe referencing a lack of game time, maybe showing up in defence a little bit. Was there anything that you touched on, Bundy's performance in particular, that, that maybe left a little bit to be desired?
1: Yeah, I look, I would look at... Uh, it's funny, I'm trying to get my head around this entirely as a team performance. Um, and when you highlight uh, Bundy in that instance he's not I I don't think he's a natural defender at 13 and I think 13 is an incredibly difficult place to to play and defend and I think at times we overlook the quality of Gary Ringrose over the the last uh, number of years that we never really talk about our defence in that place for the most part because it seems to be sealed off comfortably and So, I also think you have a player playing out of position. I think Bundy's more 12, and I know it's only a subtle uh, move out, but it's defensively you're far more exposed. That doubt makes it very difficult for him. Um, It's great to hear him kind of say that he doesn't, he didn't get to the point of where he wanted to be. Um, But we need to find our, our, second 13 and you know for the most part we know that Henshaw can play there but we've had a huge number of injuries in that space so that puts us under pressure Um, that's where we're looking for we're looking for um, if we look at other players I thought Ross Byrne played played pretty well Um, he still isn't a threat like Johnny is and he is for Johnny's picking the right decision at every, every every moment I thought he grew into the game. It was his first Six Nations start. I mean, you can't, you could can be quite churlish um, criticizing guys yeah. who um, are trying to reach a height. And so uh, I'd be looking at trying to get those players as further up that tree that they possibly can. But we will end up with players that are absolutely brilliant, and the guys in two and three behind them may not be as good. And we have to deal with that accordingly. So, so for me, I'd be happy with the win. Um, and, uh, but you know, I think we've, we've, we've fallen off too many tackles. Um, but I think that's also part of how Ireland are trying to play. They're playing wider, looser, um, uh, with a huge amount of pace. And that will always end up with different, uh, different gaps in the system. And then when the ball is turned over, you, you know, your players are not in the, the, the ideal position to make the tackle or to, or to, you know, or to defend properly. So I look, I'm, I look, I think you have to be careful for looking for perfection when you've seven or eight changes to a team.
4: And I guess the other thing is that you've also got to be careful looking for perfection because it doesn't really exist. I mean, when the best New Zealand team with Carter and McCaw won the World Cup in London that time, beating Australia in the final, there were times along the way where even that team, which was clearly the best team in that World Cup, and you know, there's an argument for them being the, the greatest of all the teams that, Australia, that New Zealand have produced, they didn't have it all their own way because this is big-time professional sport where there is endless amounts of analysis being done on even the best players' weaknesses. And so... Like, if if we are going to go and do well in a World Cup, there's going to be a lot of tricky,
1: dark moments that we've got to get out of. I think that's valid, and it's the difference between excellence and perfection. Um, You, you know, you want people to be... to perform excellently, you know, and different people have a different level of what that is. And um, when you look at what what we've kind of managed so far and um I also like the fact that they go one game at a time, they're not really thinking of, of anything else really. And they're looking for that level of performance that is excellent, you know, and um and that's what the, that's what it has to be, because you've when you make a mistake, you have to forget about the mistake. Um I just think this mentality of a team is a bit different. It seems to say, oh well we've made a mistake. We're not going to be berated for it. We're not going to berate ourselves for it. Let's just go and do the next thing really well again. And I think that makes a huge difference. So, look, I like, it's funny. I was trying to do a, my view of what I thought of the Six Nations so far. And I thought there's, there's the brilliance of the French players, of so many of the French players. There's a brilliance of those. There's a brilliance of Finn Russell in Scotland and other players are, are rising as well with him. But for Ireland, a lot of it's the brilliance of the team and um, how people know their jobs and the standard of performance just seems to be consistently incredibly high. So I thought we had a high level of of play um, and I thought it was a really good performance on the basis of seven or eight guys being gone.
4: Yeah. It used to be that we would have a knock-on every 10 or 15 minutes. That's what it felt like watching. And now whenever anybody has a knock-on, like, how'd that happen? Well, that never happens anymore.
1: Yeah, and my God, there's a scrum, you know. Th- yeah. th- 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 I thought those days were gone, you know. And it's uh What it's is an this interesting. Thing?
4: Yeah. <laughs> Come here, um the Scotland game, right? Uh we had Tom English on yesterday and Scotland are feeling themselves at the moment. You know, they've they've finally got a load of their injury problems have passed. The out half has a working, if not good, relationship with Gregor Townsend. Townsend has kinda of let it be known that this might be the end of his time there, but he might be able to be convinced to stick around. It looks like Scott Robertson's going to get the New Zealand job, so maybe he won't be available to take the Scotland job. And uh, with all of that kind of happening in the background, Scotland are in our group in the World Cup, so this game is massively important for all sorts of reasons, not least of which is actually we might get a home Grand Slam if we win it, or we'll certainly be playing for one anyway. So, uh, in terms of big occasions, Ireland at Murrayfield, sometimes it's a big occasion. But this time, it's absolutely giant.
1: Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I love watching some of the teams play. I love the pressure that's happening with some of them. Uh, you understand the carnage that's happening in different places, like with Wales and England sacking their coaches before Christmas, like that. That just throws everything into confusion over there. Scotland have had a high level of consistency. Um, They've got some really good performances for about five, six, seven years. I mean, I watched Scotland with the BBC for a long time. I used to go to Edinburgh for for nearly every one of their games. They lost nearly every one of them. You know, they had a they had a period of time where it was terrible, um, which we would had about ten years before that. So you know, um, but when you look at them now, they uh, I don't I think they're they're unbelievably reliant on Finn Russell. Um, I think he pulls the strings in a in a, a real kind of hero type way that's it's all based in around him um and he has the ability to to pass the most sublime passes to drop the ball off to another player that you can't even see the pass happening to kick pass better than pretty much anyone his goal kicking is pretty fantastic um it is a it's a huge game for us but for me I look at our, Team, and again, where our brilliance sits is around the structure. And if we get all our players back in and they're up to scratch, our job is to negate Finn Russell and see how, um, uh, you know, see how Scotland are able to react with with him being put under pressure. If we get our defensive line up well, there's a good chance that Finn will pass, um, um, a scoring pass for them and for us yeah. because he is always looking for it's not always boom and bust he's technically excellent um, but he will go for it and he knows he has to go for it and actually for Scotland he has to go for it he can't play a conservative um, style he can against certain teams but I don't think he can against Ireland so but I think it's going to be a cracker and, and I've, I've looked at the uh, you know when you're enjoying the the rugby at the moment i'm not enjoying wales and and, and england i'm not enjoying the manner in which they're playing and um, for me it's just it's a bit boring um that's a bit too much kicking and um but when you look at italy trying to go from everywhere france having just so many unbelievable players uh, Ireland playing so well, Scotland playing well. They're great games. I mean, we've looked at some of the, the, the some of the great games in Six Nations history. France Scotland last week was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh,
5: briefly, Keith, just before we let you go, just wanted to touch on it. Kind of the news that came out this morning, last night on New Zealand and uh, what their uh, situation in terms of a head coach is going to be. So uh, uh, they will have a new head coach essentially after this year's uh, Rugby World Cup. Ian Foster will not be reapplying for the position. I guess Scott Robertson. The number one name in the frame Jamie Joseph being mentioned as well as a, as a potential replacement what do you make of all this uh, and I guess the announcement this far ahead of the World Cup
1: well, uh, there was rumours came out two or three weeks ago in terms of Ian Foster getting peeved with people talking about what's happening after the World Cup. And he said, Jesus, will you just concentrate on the World Cup? And let's just not have any conversation about that afterwards. Uh, I think the announcement last night was a way of drawing a line in the sand so that this consistently doesn't go up and uh, come up. Um, uh, I think he's an on. Un- oh. Under unbelievable pressure, as is New Zealand after the results of the last year, they have um, they've had like for them dreadful results. So, um, look, it's a within in terms of rugby. I never like these kind of chats that happen beforehand when a coach is kind of going to go or not go. They want to go under their own steam. He will now be going under his own steam. Um, they'll be hoping it does stop all the conversation and doesn't destabilize the team further before the, the World Cup. Um, but we are kind of happy enough listening to this that while teams that we we're playing against are, are kind of struggling somewhat, trying to get their, their house in order when our house seems to be pretty good. Um, uh, don't get too excited by that because those things can fluctuate very quickly. Yeah. But, um, look, I, for them, it's just trying to tidy up. The, all the conversation so they're not talking about it for for the next nine months
4: alright Keith great stuff thanks a so million for joining us cheers. cheers cheers gents so Keith Wood giving us some thoughts this morning at 8.48 a reminder OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day John Duggan is with us Ger and Shane how we doing? how are you doing? yeah good not not too bad <laughs> um, Evan Ferguson hype train choo choo
7: yeah um it's amazing when you see, like, Roy Keane and Dennis Irwin. If you remember the 1994 FA Cup final, it's on YouTube, I think, where they're all interviewed after the game. It's a routine double for United. And I actually think that was the first double they did under Ferguson. Mm. And these decorated players, and they're playing for so many years, and we've all this luxury of the Houghtons and the Stauntons. And the I'm using the Brian Cunns, um, cliche now of the, of the plural names, but... Uh, Aldridge all these players winning league championships and now we're so parched we're so starved in the desert that we're just trying to cling on to anything and look I hope Evan Ferguson scores more goals than Harry Kane in the Premier League but look just give the lad a break and hopefully he'll progress he's only 18
5: we were saying earlier we need a maybe need a chant for him I was making the point that we don't really have an international level chance and an atmosphere that maybe is there for club level at League of Ireland or Tottenham or United like someone has replied to me uh, Shane, just watching from earlier this morning. Shane talking about Ireland not really having chance. Well, the passion is the chance, isn't it? Well, but you see, they have all these. Same, he says, t- "Tell him to go sit in the south stand, one fourteen, or go to away games." But it's all the same chance, the Aviva it's stand up for the boys in green and just can't get shoes up to still, off, isn't it? But surely we need more. We need more. Evan Ferguson deserves one all by himself. I don't know what do you think of the atmosphere at the uh, Viva for for home matches. We've
7: never been a country though for for, for player. I suppose who ah, Paul yeah,
5: yeah, that's probably an exception.
7: Uh, only one keynote but I think that's probably after the World Cup mm. um, but it was always Kayser uh, Asara or uh, Ole
4: Ole Ole even Kayser Asara was like of it's time in the late uh, 80s <laughs> you know maybe it only was birthed after in early 1990 I don't know I think it, uh, memory starts it was part of the campaign but at least that was like new and
7: creative I don't right? remember a Duffer chant or a Robbie Keane chant
4: uh
7: or, uh, or maybe we did the team of Gary Breen's, I don't, but I never identified the Irish fans as as good as we we can be with 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 player chance. Mm. Always more being about the team. Come on, you boys in green. Because remember you talking about being at the Spurs game? Was it the away game you
5: were at in Germany and the atmosphere on the train? Maybe it was a home game. Ah, uh, it was. But like you, you need the, the chance to add something to it.
7: Ah, uh, like there's the so many chance about Antonio Conte and Pasta or whatever or uh, Richarlison and others. Like and obviously all the, the sickening chance as well, which we can't repeat. And mm. um, not that I engaged in them. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Like uh, Football club, the wit of Premier League clubs and the wit of... of I'm sure Brighton have got one for him. I um, don't know I what it is. I but, think so. You know, I must go on to some Seagulls forums and see what the chant for Evan Ferguson is. Ooh, Evan, if you know what that's worth? Or something like that, you know? Yes. That's been in our heads the whole the whole
5: morning. Yeah.
7: Good of Carlisle impression there, John. Well, you know, like me 80s. Sammy Schmodox as well scored. Mm. Uh, yeah, someone said in our comments he's Irish qualified. Yeah, he's called up to the squad two years ago. Right. Uh, So you might be back in again. You got to think it's fizzling and out for Brendan Rodgers. Even the interviews now seem a bit resigned. Would not be happy enough that they're out of the cup. Won't focus. Stay up. (laughs) Nah, Leicester's probably best day in their history was winning that FA Cup a couple of years ago. So I just feel it's just... Fizzling.
5: Wigan, though, didn't that time Wigan beat City, Man City in the cup final and they got relegated the same year? Yeah. You need, like,
4: uh,
7: yeah uh, I mean, but at least Wigan had that day, right? They're not getting relegated, though. But it, it just feels it's just all... It's kind of it's done now for Brendan Rodgers and he probably wants a new challenge. Uh, Manor Solomon again, scoring for Fulham. Four goals in as many games and then Leeds uh, being eliminated and then Phil Foden back in the loop for Man City, 3-0 win at Bristol City. Loads of games tonight. Luke Shaw and Fred may be rested for Man United against West Ham. Uh, Erickton Hags back into disciplinary mode. Get back to work, folks. 7.45 start at Old Trafford. Uh, Spurs going to Sheffield United. Southampton against Grimsby. Burnley at home to Fleetwood. I think Spurs' name is on the cup this year, actually. And Arsenal uh, can go five points clear at the top of the Premier League if they beat at uh, The Emirates, I'd expect them to
4: do so. Yeah, an underrated story today. Um, I mean, a five-point lead would be... I, I, back it will be recovery from the blip essentially well they've, yeah they've already done
7: that by winning two games away from home like there would be Daston Villa and Leicester and they were very comfortable against Leicester the weekend as I've just pointed out the Leicester they were not, not great but yeah I think our Arsenal win tonight and yeah um, you just don't know what Man City at the moment they can either be cruising or they can be a little bit inconsistent so uh they so, play Newcastle at the weekend which is interesting and Arsenal of Bournemouth we, gra- sorry, sorry.
4: we Graham on last weekend Graham last week Graham Hunter he was just talking about how in the city dressing room at the moment there's just these little bits of stuff coming out where there had been a vice-like grip on the whole place and everybody knew exactly what was going to happen and it never seemed like uh there was anything happening that would that would upset the plan and the course of action of the team. There was just a mention of like, there's a sense of some favorites now. You're like, oh, right, you know, like and keeping a grip on a dressing room like that, where everybody is on their way to becoming like multi, multi, hundreds of millions, uh, must have been difficult for a long time and. All this stuff is going on in in the background of Pep and he's got a little bit of attention on that. He's got a little bit of attention over here and he's trying to get Haaland in the team. So there's a window. There is a window.
7: There for- is a window for Arsenal to do a Leicester on this. and I'm not, I'm not trying to compare the the title wins because Leicester was a freak. But just the way Leicester that season just kept on getting ahead and ahead and ahead and then they eventually won. Arsenal could do that. Um, I think it's interesting. I think the signings have been good. Jorginho and Trossard. Um, obviously he dropped in Ketty the other day. Um, will they just have enough goals in them, is the thing. And if they go away from home, are they able to not have the performance they did against Everton where they didn't turn up at all? Uh, the City thing is, is interesting. It's up to Guardiola to maybe look to, to, to the three to four people in his dressing room, like De Bruyne, Gundogan, uh, Diaz, Rodri, and rely on them. But it is odd that Haaland doesn't get the ball. You know? mm. Nobody, it's almost like a kid in school, and oh, no, we're not passing to you because um, every time we do you score a goal yeah yeah, man um, <laughs> so it's a bit of that about it um, but I still think like, the, 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 thing, the problem for Guardiola is Guardiola who's been trying to boost his team in a lot of his recent utterances it's all about the Champions League for him Whether, if, like, if they don't win the Premier League but they win the Champions League it's still everything is achieved
5: did I hear you sneaking in there? I think Tottenham's name is on the trophy. That was like a little Trojan horse there. Ah, you sure, you the just plans snuck plans it in and moved on. So you think Spurs are going to win the FA Cup? Bob Dwyer pointing out here: last time Spurs beat
7: Portsmouth in the third round was 1991. There you go. Um, well, I don't think it was the third round. I think it was later than that, Bob. But because um, it was Gascoigne scored twice when we came from behind. Come with the king, you best not miss, Bobby. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was the actually the. Ooh, yeah, it was the fifth round or the quarter final. It was, this it was is at Fratton year. Park. You're going to win a trophy, John. I think Mark Chamberlain scored the opener for Portsmouth. I think he's Alex oxley Chamberlain's dad. Is he?
4: Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right.
7: Yeah. Um, and if I'm wrong, I'm, then I'm then I'm the bad. We've literally bad.
4: accidentally stumbled into uh, John Duggan's mastermind round. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur's 1991 FA Cup victory.
7: They beat um, Blackpool in the first round away from home. Rounds then they three beat to o- seven. Oxford United, Notts County. Portsmouth. I actually think Portsmouth was the fifth round, and Lass County was the sixth round. Arsenal was the semi-final, and then they beat uh, Farce in the final. You're, you're right, John. By the way, he is uh, Alex Oxley Chamberlain's. He's um,
5: also a, a younger brother of Neville Chamberlain, not the former British Prime Minister.
4: Ah, was it wasn't bad, was it? That's where that Gaza clip uh, at the start of the football show comes from. After that semi-final um, free kick, right? <laughs> <laughs> would that be your actual football um, mastermind subject? Uh,
7: well, team. I mean, I, I'd like to think I've got many strings to the bow if you ask Nathan and Joe what the Masters quiz is like every year. Oh, yeah. Wow. so wow. The
4: two lads are like suddenly just something's crawling down the back of their <laughs> neck and they're scratching it away going, What's, what happened? <laughs> you Cheltenham as well,
7: John, I suppose. Uh, there's a few things, a few things. Although I'm not a very good go-carter because I see the story here at the back of the Times. Spurs forming a one deal, Sparks, Sale talk about they're going to build a karting track underneath the sad stand at Tottenham. Um, Liberty Media... Is, uh, there,
4: is there nothing there at the moment? Is there just like a big empty hangar where they can build a go-kart track? I, I just have no idea how they're going to do that. Maybe they'll have an underground tunnel or something a like of stories, that. There's stories, isn't there? There's, there's levels to, to underneath the pitch.
7: Um, i just got kind of thinking of Mario karts. I remember, um, I'm so bad at this, that about 25 years ago I was brought karting in Colmore or, or, or Pibsborough, one of these places in the north side, with a friend who's really good, like he's a really good driver. And he was like, he got the hang of it and he's spinning around, he's going around and around and around and thing. And I, every single lap I just kept on going into the tyres, uh, so much so that the guy came up to me and goes, no, we're not doing this
5: anymore. Do you, do you know why that is, John? Do you know why you kept going into the tyres? And this is shots absolutely fired. Dubs can't drive. Right. They don't know how. They never learn. We, like, culture, I call well, myself a culture, I'm from a town, but we were in the fields at 14, 15, learning how to drive cars.
4: Doing donuts, doing dubs, donuts. yeah. Yeah, 100%. Have you done karting?
5: Done carton as well. I love a bit of carton. Yeah, we were sure we were down in Mondello, myself and
4: Jer. Um, that and, wasn't That wasn't carton. That wasn't
5: no, was cars. Proper, proper cars. <laughs> they were cars. BMWs. But yeah, but uh, Dublin people out there, Would you ever feckin' learn to drive? It's not that hard. I did my test at seventeen. That's your challenge, JD, for this year, right? Yeah. That and swimming. There you, go. Oh, you can't swim either.
7: No. A lot of things. I'm a very unconventional
5: man. And, well, it's just, and you're always on tiny beach as well, so you never know. Just, just, just stay on the shore, John. <laughs> stay away from that water.
7: Yeah.
4: Right. Anything
7: else, briefly? Uh, briefly, um, sad news about Brian O'Brien passing away, uh, 83 years of age, really popular um, man with the Irish rugby squad So, and, and the for- first ever Shannon player to
4: play for Ireland. So may hey, he rest in peace and yeah. A great legacy for sure. Uh, John, good stuff. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon and off the ball on News Talk. It is 8.59 OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's on the OTB podcast network for you today. Brian O'Juskal, exceptional on last night's uh, Monday Monday Night Rugby it was last night Tuesday Tuesday night Tuesday what day? It was Tuesday, Tuesday special. Uh, talking specifically about the defensive brilliance of Gary Ringrose so make sure you, you make time to listen to that uh, Graham Hunter was on previewing the uh, Classico in the Cup of the Race semi-finals and they're going to play again in La Liga soon as well so the season in Spain is telescoping uh, we also have the latest episode of the Coigate podcast where Kathleen Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne discussed the most recent international window on Emma's time at the FIFA's Best Awards she's got quite the life on the uh, FIFA circuit at the moment our Emma so you can listen to that in the Koi Gig podcast uh, in its own stream or in the football stream follow Off The Ball across our social channels and make sure you subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network up next Kathleen's WNT Power Rankings watch OTB
3: AM live every weekday morning from 7.30 on YouTube just subscribe to the Off The Ball channel so you don't miss a thing
4: yeah, so the uh, the time is passing quickly. Uh, the World Cup is not quite nearly upon us, but we're getting there. Uh, Kathleen McLean is back. Kathleen, good morning to you.
0: Good morning, guys.
4: With every passing week, any injury news is greeted with that. Ooh, is that going to have an impact on the World Cup squad? Uh, but also with every passing week, some players are returning to fitness and getting game time and going, well, you know, remember me? I'm, I should be in your team. So um, for newcomers to this slot, how does it work?
0: Uh, so we've updated a little bit for this week. So this is my, what I would say is my starting squad. And then also who I think is going to make the squad in general. few changers, few movers, a uh, little bit different to last time where I if, I, if the one to 11 I had picked last time was a starting squad, it would have been a very interesting squad. Uh, but yeah, so we have our starting team. And then, I don't know, there's, you say about, people getting playing time this has kind of been one of the issues and probably why this is a bit more of a educated look at the team than the last one we did because I actually got to go out to Spain and see the team playing because there's quite a few of these players who aren't playing for their teams at the moment uh, which makes Vera Powell's life very difficult and mine very very difficult
4: (laughs) doing this lot so this isn't you're not picking Vera's team you're picking your team is that is that fair
0: yeah, it's. I don't think this is how Vera is going to set the team up. But if I had my ideal world, this is kind of what I would like to see from the Irish team.
4: All right, let's let's be having it.
0: So Courtney Brosnan in goal. I don't think there's really any questions there. Backline, we have Eva Mannion, Louise Quinn, Nifahi, Megan Campbell. Midfield: Heather Payne, Rusha Liljohn, Megan Connolly, Katie McCabe. And then up front, we have a bit of Kira Carusa and also Denise O'Sullivan.
4: Okay. So Katie McCabe's on the left wing. You've got four at the back.
0: Yeah, so Vera prefers a five at the back a lot of the time. Uh, And I don't know, it's like what we saw last week with Spain was that, again, defensively, we're very, very strong. We were putting a lot of balls up to Heather Payne up top, who is like a very good runner, but doesn't necessarily have a great shot on her. So I feel like there's other places where she could perform well for this team Um, and at midfield it was very difficult for us to really get the ball at all so this is why I've kind of went for a little bit of a, a stronger set in the middle.
5: What was the reaction in uh, in Spain, and Marbella, to the Megan Campbell long throw-ins? I'm sure not everyone there had, had maybe seen her before.
0: It was quite funny because I think the owners of the stadium were sitting just in front of me and it was the first time they'd ever seen it and there was literal gasps and like, oohs, whenever she did it the first time. And uh, there was very few people in the stadium and anyone who was there was Irish and everyone was just very entertained by their reactions. Um,
4: we should absolutely stop doing it until... Actually, the World Cup, right? So in the two friendlies against America, don't do it once.
0: Yeah, Mm. this is what I was going to say, because she was asked about it just before the Germany game. And she was saying, yeah, it is something we're working on. And yes, people do know that it is one of our, I suppose, skills that we have in our bag of tricks. But like trying to defend it against it very well. And it wasn't all that difficult for them either. So like... People definitely know we do have it there, and I just wonder what would the reaction be if she went up and maybe took a short throw-in and changed things in a little bit just to give that element of surprise, or at least tell teams every time you see Megan Campbell going to the line, it's not definitely going to be a long throw-in.
5: You can't really, you can't really prepare for even if you know it's coming. It's tough to to practice defending that. Like it's, it's the trajectory is so
4: fierce. All it needs is a, a touch from the opposite. From we need, the we need a Rory to lap Megan well, Connolly. <laughs> mashup where they actually speak to each other on this show that's our that's oh, yeah. our we need to get that sorted in the next couple of weeks to be like here listen because there was a point where it becomes there's just like as you say like I'm interesting to hear China were able to do that um how often did it happen and what was the I
0: think she did it about three or four times during the game but like it was just it was very simple defense in the end from them because all they had to do was just pack out the box make sure any of the players who you were likely to go through. So if she was trying to aim it for Louise Quinn's head, say, all they had to do was put an extra player on her. And they were very physical, in fairness, China, so they were quite good at that sort of box defense. Right, Um, But even in the WSL, the few times she's used it, Like, not that I haven't been playing the last couple of weeks because it's been an international break, but before that, you can see teams are slowly coming around. Like, initially, when they came up to the WSL, they did find it hard to defend against it, but I feel like people are slowly. I think.
4: the, is the thing to do not just to, like, throw it at the goal and hope yeah. someone gets a touch just get well it the touch. last like, time uh, we
0: tried that she did actually score a goal but that
4: was the problem nobody got a touch yeah. now like if, if the preordained here is like just get any yeah. any owl touch on it,
5: is, anything. it tre- is it treated like a corner by Vera Pau like, do, do they what just leave two players back two or three players back and just swarm the box is that how they approach well, it well
0: see this is the kind of issue with it because it is treated like it's uh, a way for us to score rather than developing say our attack players and that's why this team is slightly more attacking than like I imagine Vera Powell would set us up, that she treats it like a set piece and that's generally how we are most likely to score and it's something that's probably not going to suit us all that well when we actually get to the World Cup. Um, so generally she aims it for a player like Louise Quinn who can jump up and head it into the net. It's not really ever one that's aimed for people's feet because I think A, that's a lot easier to defend against and B, it just leaves a bit of a scramble in the box rather than, you know, if we have a free kick or a corner where we know we have those aerial players who are quite good.
5: You had in your starting team. She got a deadline day move to London uh, from Denmark, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Interesting enough pick.
0: Yeah, so I was a little torn on this. So the options were kind of Kira Carusa, Amber Barrett or Leanne Kiernan. Uh, And Emma and I were actually talking about this outside just before we came in. And I was saying that if Leanne Kiernan was fit, I would probably have her in that position because I think she is one of the few out and out strikers that we actually have in the Irish team who can get goals. She was doing it for Liverpool in the Championship last season before she got injured. She was doing it for them in the WSL. Obviously, she has been injured the last couple of months and had a couple of setbacks, so playing time is going to be a bit of an issue. And also, Vera Powell doesn't really fancy her, even when she has been fit. She rarely makes it into the team, which I've always found really interesting. Um, but what I like about Kira Carusa is I think she has the work rate of a uh, Heather Payne. She's very good on the ball. She's a little bit more physical than Heather Payne. Um, she has that sort of temperament that she's played in the US. So she has that level of athleticism that maybe some of the players who've only played here and in Europe don't. And also she has a shot. Um, and I think sometimes we forget about her a little bit because she did play over in Denmark for those few years and then she was over in the US. So she's not always top of people's minds.
4: Do you think she's going to start?
0: Um, no, I think, mm, I think she Well, Vera Powell will probably stick with Heather Payne up there. OK. Even though I don't agree with it. OK. I don't think it's her most or her, her best position. She's,
4: uh, Vera is not going to pick four at the back either, is she?
0: No, she's going to go five. Okay. She, she's, like, she's never changed that. That's always been her go-to. Even when she says she's lining up before the back, it still ends up with being five.
4: So of your team, of your starting 11, what is the number of those who will start in the opening fixture in the World Cup, everybody assuming fitness, um, against Australia?
0: Uh, I think the majority there is probably like... I really think that will be our back line. I think Eva Mannion showed
4: So Eva Mannion's actually playing centre back. Yeah. Right.
0: Well I think she like she showed against Spa or against China that she has that level of being able to hold onto the ball in if she's in a corner, in a tight corner, against the line, she can actually hold the ball and move away from the player rather than just kicking it out. And I think that's something we miss sometimes in our back line. Um I think Heather Payne will move up front. Uh, uh I think Rusha, if she stays fit and she gets a few more minutes, definitely will be in there. Megan Connolly, I would love seeing back in midfield. I don't think she's great in defence, and I also don't think that she herself really likes playing there all that much. I talked to her a bit about it last week in Marbella. Katie and Denise are obviously surefire's other players that might get in, Lily Ag maybe for Rusha, if she's not fit enough. Um and apart from that, okay, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty set team. This is our thing that like our starting eleven doesn't actually change around too much. Um, it's more just when you go down the list a little bit, there's not maybe a massive amount of depth.
4: Okay, so y- you've picked your bench and the rest of the squad who will go to the World Cup in your view, right? Um, are there any controversial omissions from this bench?
0: Um, not massively I don't think I mean one of the players that dropped out from uh, my last or one of the players I brought in is Claire Walsh who plays in Glasgow Um, so she's a defender and I think she's an interesting player she is a bit like Aoife Mannion in the sense that she's quite good on the ball a sort of player that has a bit of pace and can actually play out from the back Um, and I actually when I hadn't included her last time she was on my maybe list Um, but I just hadn't watched a whole lot of her. Um, Marissa Shiva is possibly a controversial inclusion. I thought when she first came on last week, she was nervous for the first couple of minutes, but she was just so pacey and she had a lovely turn on her when she was on the ball. That was kind of like one of the players that when we were talking about earlier... If she makes a squad, maybe some people will feel aggrieved by. It. I don't think, you know, Eva Mannion. It's hard to debate her getting a place there. Whereas Marisha Shiva, I think people may feel a little bit uh, annoyed at a player like her, unless she proves something. There is still a couple of international windows for her to prove something. And we're playing the US next, which is where she has plied her trade. So good opportunity for
4: somebody to make an impact in those two games. If you play well in those two games, going to be hard for Vera Pau to ignore your claims for a place at least on the plane but also maybe potentially for a a place in the team
0: yeah like I think a place in the team is going to be difficult at the moment unless it is someone gets injured in that starting 11 that's there like I think a lot of those players are pretty set on again maybe Ag or someone could also make a claim but maybe in defence maybe there might be a little bit of room there But I think the thing about this team is that, like we were saying earlier, it's very difficult to actually move players around because so many of these players have been stalwarts for so long and it's very hard to leave any of them out. And to make that claim, you do need a certain level of really, really playing well. Uh, and I think it was interesting actually with Eva Mannion after she played last week. She got her first start for United in like since last February, was the last time she played proper minutes with them. And uh, Mark Skinner was saying after the game that was partly because of how she played for Ireland. So, great. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Okay. So on your bench, you've got Liliag, Amber Barrett, Marissa Shiva, Leanne Kiernan, Jamie Finn, Anya Gorman, Claire Walsh, Lucy Quinn, Chloe Mostaki, Diane Caldwell, Grace Maloney, and Megan Walsh. Who's. Not on that bench that is in potential selection area.
0: I think you probably have to look at some of the WNL players. Um your likes of a uh, Jessie Stapleton, again, still quite young. Uh Abby Larkin, I did have in my first squad, but I saw her play last week and I wasn't massively impressed. Now she is still very young, she's only seventeen. But it felt like every time she did something kind of relatively small or relatively normal on the ball she was getting a massive amount of encouragement from the team and she looked like she needed that massive amount of encouragement from the team um, because there wasn't that many people in the stadium you could actually hear what the players were saying very very clearly so that's why she dropped out I think Isabel Atkinson if she gets a bit of time could also be in a shout Um. And then, of course, you have the likes of Kira Grant. Rihanna Jarrett, if she does something for Wexford, if she gets back into her scoring form, could also be there. But I think outside of those, it's going to take either a big push or else someone else coming in from that we don't know of that has an Irish passport.
4: Is there any rumours of that stuff? I mean, obviously, they say they're continuously looking to improve. Is there an expectation that yeah, we Yeah,
0: so there's uh, John Fallon and the Examiner reported last week that there's two other players that Vera is looking at. Megan Finnegan, who is a defender with Evershin and also Sophie Whithouse, who's a goalkeeper with Luz in the Championship. So interesting that a goalkeeper is being looked at because we probably would have thought that those three were pretty set on. But also, Grace Maloney and Megan Walsh haven't been getting a lot of time this season. Uh, Although Grace Maloney was the penalty hero at the weekend for Reading in the FA Cup when they knocked out Tottenham. So she could be on her way back.
5: So you take her on at the end of extra time in a World Cup game just for the shootout. Is that
4: your say?
0: No, I'd leave Courtney there. (laughs) (laughs) I think Courtney has proven that she is good enough to be there, even if she's not playing with Everton at the moment all that much.
4: Kathleen, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thank you. That's uh, Cathy McNamee giving us uh, her power rankings ahead of the Women's World Cup. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you can get us on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. It's 15 minutes past nine. I'm delighted to say we're turning to athletics now, ahead of the European indoor athletics, um, which are going to be uh, fast and furious over the next few days. And I'm delighted to say Phil Healy is with us. Phil, good morning to you. How are you?
2: Hey, how are things? Thanks a million for having me on.
4: What part of the world are you in at the moment?
2: I am currently in Watford, still in the gym after training this morning, but uh, yeah, I'm here.
4: And when, when are you heading off?
2: I leave on Friday, so the Europeans actually start on Thursday evening. I know the 1500 metre boys are on Thursday evening, and then the relay is on Sunday for me, Sunday okay. evening.
4: And so the decision for you to just be a part of the relay team this time, what, what goes into making a decision like that for you?
2: Look, it definitely was a hard decision because I've gone to an indoor major championship every year since 2016 and COVID year in 2020 was the only year that it wasn't on. So I suppose that's a tough decision to make when you're there year after year. The last time we had European indoor championships was 2021 and I finished fourth there. Um, So now it has come around where my body isn't where I wanted to be. I'm not running the times where I wanted to be. So I knew I wasn't going to give the best um, performance individually um, and it certainly wouldn't be at my standards of going out there in a European Championship so I wanted to save it for the relay and give the best shot that I can for the relay and I suppose you just have to go away from that individual mindset um, like we're individual athletes all the time and like we rarely have a relay together so um, I suppose it is a hard one to make but for this this championships it's all about the team
4: Um it, 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 again you, you make the point there that you're an individual athlete so it's really difficult to step out of that for a moment and go okay that must be very disappointing at one level
2: 100% because even if I like I qualified for European Championships last year like the qualification window opened in 2022 and I was running 51 seconds 400 metres after 51 seconds and like if I look at the rankings for the championships this year I was running 51.6 last year that would rank me fourth or fifth going into this championship but this is sport this is the way it rolls not every year is going to be a good year and um yeah it is a hard decision but at least i am injury free and i suppose that is the main thing although there is a few health things going on and i suppose that can be more frustrating and less clear I suppose, and frustrating as an athlete. But um, yeah, it was a decision we had to make. And yes, we could have shied away from the European Championships altogether, but this is a great opportunity for a women's 4x4 team. It's the first time we have a women's 4x4 Relay in European Indoor Championships since 2010, I think. So it's a massive opportunity. We have two new girls making their senior debut as part of the team and the squad is growing um, year after year. So it's great to see everybody is stepping up and everybody is keeping each other on their toes. So we're fighting for those places and uh, it's great to see um, women 400 meters sprinting in Ireland uh, going to new levels as well.
5: You said it was a, a tough decision, of course, uh, Phil, but it also strikes me as maybe a, a mature decision, like when when athletes are coming through at 17 18 there's maybe an eagerness and and a willingness to to maybe push the body to places it shouldn't be going whereas now you're obviously more in tune and and i guess more accepting of what it can and can do at certain times of the year
2: 100% and i suppose you just have to take that step back and for me after coming fourth in 2021 like a final is obviously the main goal again and i know my body is nowhere near even probably getting to a semi-final if i wanted to compete individually so like that is i'm only setting myself up for failure and i'm exposing myself in that environment where i don't need to um where i can go in run the relay give the best possible um leg over that four by four distance for the relay team go away from the championship start again and uh look forward to outdoor season hopefully things are back um firing the way they should be
4: and when do you feel like you'll be back to yourself
2: I suppose for me, like the winter was very frustrating and I didn't have the answers of what was actually going on. There was a few different things like my white blood cells and things were all over the place. But yesterday I actually had a consultant appointment in Beaumont and I finally got more clarity and I finally got answers. So I suppose it's just about adjusting to those changes now and treating what I need to treat because I do have thyroid issues and I do have an autoimmune disease with that, so we do have a lot of tests coming up in the next few weeks to rule out any other autoimmune diseases and I suppose for the athlete no one no athlete wants an injury ever in their career um but for me at one point it was nearly easier if it was an injury because at least I would have had a set road to recovery and you have answers but there was a point in the winter where I did contemplate like should I stick with the sport should I not stick with the sport and I know. Some of the listeners are probably like, oh, that's so dramatic. It is only sport at the end of the day, but it is also your career at the end of the day. Yes, I do have a full-time job on the side. And people were saying that, oh, because the performances weren't coming out, it's because you've changed and started working full-time. But I'm like, if only you actually realized behind the scenes, that is not the case. And the job for me has been a great balance, has been a great change. Um But yeah, there was a point where I did think, maybe my time is done in the sport, maybe it's not worth going at it anymore, and like I suppose if you're in any career, any profession, and you're going, you're not performing day after day, you're like, why am I staying in this, why I'm not enjoying it, so like there was that, that point, and I did stick with it, and hopefully things are coming around in the right way, and like obviously it's easy to share the highs day after day, but the lows are important to share as well, it's just to, to be transparent, and I suppose to be honest, and I certainly wasn't looking for pity or anything like that when I did say that I was um, withdrawing from the 400. It was just, I have had a great run of it over the the last few years, going to major championship after major championship and getting semi-finals, going to the Olympics and different things like that. But uh, there does come a time where your body just isn't responding. And for me, that is now. And finally, I have got answers. And finally, I can treat that. And hopefully things... um, will come together
4: again. I, I don't know if you're if you're not, if you don't want to talk about this, that's totally fine. We don't need to, but um, it sounds like you've been on a, a, a journey of discovery to try and like get the science to be as exact as it possibly can. Like, you, you know, you, you, you talk about um, the level of competition that you're at. Every single second of every single day has to be measured out and you're against the clock the whole time. So it's, it's about measurement of, even down to white, Cell count. It must be incredibly frustrating when you suddenly lose control over that.
2: One hundred percent, because there was a time where my bloods looked perfect, but still training was such a struggle. And for me, I know the ins and outs of training, and there's no fooling me in thinking that things are okay. And I suppose that makes me very hard to coach at times as well. Um, but the reality was that training wasn't good enough. My body, even when we took the intensity out and we were doing the slow work. Stuff in training, my body just was not responding, and I'm like, Will I ever be back to being able to run properly? And I suppose you're performing and you're training at such an intense rate all the time. You need to be on top of your game all the time, everything does need to be in a line. So, I did have a great um, team around me all. Shane my coach is always there and then working with the doctors in UPMC in Waterford and Sport Ireland as well and um, it was great to to have that and to to try find answers and um, yeah we're we're on the road to recovery and we're on the road to getting back there and I suppose I just wanted to be clear on what was going on because it hasn't just been the winter it has been ever since I got COVID in March of last year things haven't been right and I'm not one to share, like some athletes are out there and they're sharing that on their journey and all the tough times along the way. For me, I only shared this last week, but it has been a year of struggle. It has been a year of lacking consistency in training. And for me, performance is built on consistency week after week. And even if I look at the last year that I'd come to training and one day is good, the next day is poor and you, you don't know what way your body is on a certain day and you're giving it a hundred percent and it's like, okay, it's not there today. And I suppose then when I went to European championships last summer, that was certainly such a below par performance. But then I had the relay a couple of days later and that was a good performance. And then I had the final of the relay and that was a poor performance. So like it's one day it's good, one day it's bad, but this is your body at the end of the day. You have to accept that you're not a robot and can compete day after day and perform at that level. And uh, we just had to take a step back and um, and see what was actually going on.
5: I, I think I remember speaking to you before, Phil, it was a, a bit after you'd broken your foot in, in 2019 at the training camp in Malta. Um, like, and of course, this is a completely different health issue than that was, but does having those setbacks before build up a little bit of scar tissue and make make this easier or is it just adding to the frustration that, that you're having to be out of action again?
2: It does in ways and I suppose when breaking my foot in 2019 I knew it was broken I knew I couldn't run I had the answers and I had a road to recovery and I remember even saying to Shane a couple of weeks ago I was like when I came back from breaking my foot I was actually running quicker and now I have no injury and my body just isn't able and it was so frustrating so I actually think this time was more frustrating than ever because no one could give me the answers of is my body ever going to be back um is a break taking a few weeks off the best of things and i was like right if i take a few weeks off there's probably a high chance i'll never come back again because i was like what's the point and i know like when you're the athlete in that situation you don't want to take a break you want to keep going you want to get your body back around but sometimes maybe it is the the best option but yeah it 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 was so frustrating and even say like throughout the indoors, I knew the the indoor races were coming closer and closer and I'm always someone that opens up really early in January and races throughout the indoor season. We had to cancel the races as they were coming closer and closer and then we just had national championships and I knew I needed to race to try and help the relay team qualify for the European Indoor Championships. Again, I could have shied away from competing at national championships because I knew the performance was not going to be at my desired standards and I suppose I could have chose a different event and hid away a little I could have done the 60 I could have done the 200 but I didn't want to I wanted to go out there and give what I could do for the team um, and because we had the European Championships that was the main goal and maybe if we didn't have the European Championships maybe I would have scrapped it totally but that was the position we were in and we went out there and successfully together qualified for the European Indoor Championship. So I, I am looking forward to, I suppose, running with a team this weekend and it takes the pressure away individually as well. And you can go into the championship and enjoy it um, because it's not every day you're in European Indoor Championship. So you have to take them as they come. And I suppose as athletes, we're literally rolling from one thing to the next. Like when, when I came forth two years ago, you're straight on to outdoor season. You don't actually stop and enjoy the good times and you see that when the hard times roll around so uh, it definitely makes you appreciate that you do need to stop and uh, enjoy the good times when they are there.
5: That individuality of of athletics is is massive and it's so so important I guess from your perspective then to to talk to people and I know like we spoke on the show before the boxers or golfers or uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan has even spoken about the impact Steve Peters his his, uh, psychologist has had with him has that been something that you've that you've leaned on or decided to lean on in, in recent years? The whole psychological aspect of of the sport.
2: Hundred percent, and like I have a great sports psychologist, Kira Lasty, who I work with all the time, and she has been there right since I started working with Kira in twenty seventeen. So like we've come through all the highs together, and now we have to to come through the lows of this, and she's been super and like. She's dealt with so many other athletes, so she's been there and she knows how I am struggling and how I am feeling. And like end of the day, the mental side of things is so, so important and has to be valued because you have that mental fatigue as well. And say like for me, if I'm going out day after day and I'm trying to look for markers and training, and as much as you want to ignore and just turn up and train, you're still looking for that little confidence boost. And if it's coming day after day and you're not getting it, You're like, oh, God, what's actually happening here? So that's 100% a massive, I suppose, um, element of sport. And people should definitely dabble into it so much more because I can train day in, day out and be 100% perfect. But if that mental side isn't 100% perfect either, then you're not going to get the the desired performance overall.
4: Phil, do you think you had a, a, a touch of long COVID?
2: that was something that was investigated as well and I suppose there's not enough research there at the moment but I'm still doing ongoing tests to to see that but the the thyroid is definitely the one at the moment that has constantly been bouncing all over the place and ever even since I started um in athletics it's always been an issue for me uh when I was younger and in my teens as well so uh um I have been put on medication now for it to just trial it and i suppose see can we get it under control and because i have enough data there to show that it has been an issue over the the last few years and i do have thyroid antibodies as well for those um listening and um understand that so like they're there there's a family history of it there for me as well and um it's something that i do have to trial and if it works great if it doesn't then we have to explore other avenues
4: the the bit you talked about um, starting a job full time, we've had countless athletes come into us over the years who invested all of their time exclusively into the athletic career and at the end of it found that they hadn't fully developed the rest of their life and that ultimately not having something to fall back on led to too much pressure and so they ended up underperforming at key moments, unconnected to the fact that uh, they weren't training enough because they weren't full-time it was actually they were full-time and nothing but that and then come the moment they were like oh this is all i have in my life for you that that scales of um i think jim gavin always re- used to refer to the the glass balls in your life you seem to have, have managed that over the last while that sounds like it's been a comfort to you over the last couple of months in particular
2: 100 percent, because i've always said sport isn't going to last forever and like the winter definitely made me realize that. And for me, the, my career side is just as important as the sporting side. So, um, ever before I started the full-time job, I was completing my masters in WIT. I continued to do add-on modules. My career, um, is in software engineering. So I'm, um, working for a company in Waterford at the moment and it was something that I wanted to start I wanted to make that change like for me it's working from home it's ideal the office is only five minutes away as well so it is perfect to have that balance and I suppose it's that security as well yes I am a funded athlete and I have made my income off sport and it has been my career for the last few years but if you're not performing, you're suddenly going to be dropped very quickly. And you have to think as well, long term, like you're not going to make a fortune off sport, and certainly not off athletics as well. So you do have to think long term about financial security. And I suppose that 100% was a massive um, security blanket for me during the winter and a comfort because even when I did contemplate, right, if this, can I keep going in the sport? And like for me, I suppose all the years I would have thought sport is my identity I have yes I am funded as I said but that financial security wasn't there long term so now it's like right I have a full-time job I have that financial security if I do stop in the sport and I can move on with my life and I can move on with my career so um, it definitely was 100% that that comfort there but for me also when I used to go away from the track I used to go back to work and it was a switch off from the track. You're not in your head 24-7. And it was a great balance. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it certainly hasn't been a performance impact. It probably has helped more than anything um, to create more of a balance there. And uh, it's definitely a change that I I am glad that I have made. And I didn't want to be... So I'm 28 now. If I go to Paris Olympics, I'll be approaching 30 in that winter. um, And I didn't want to be... 30 and starting my career then I didn't want to be at the bottom of the ladder so for me it was about starting now and um, gaining that experience I suppose I've been in a very lucky position where I haven't had to start um, and being financially able to continue the sport through the years and um, so no it has been a brilliant change and it's it certainly hasn't been performance impacting that some might think um, but there just has been a lot of other things going on behind the scenes that I finally I suppose have shared and given a bit of transparency
5: towards that's fascinating that, you, that you've that you had that attitude phil because we, we speak to a lot of recently retired sports people on the show and saturday panels and all the rest and they struggle with that being an ex-rugby player or an ex-football or an ex-gaelic football or hurler whatever it might be so the fact that you're all, you're, you're already thinking about that and you know not wanting to be tagged as just phil healy the athlete i think i remember hearing you before as well even disliking the ireland's fastest woman tag so that's obviously something that 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 you actively think about these these tags not defining your life.
2: Absolutely, and you have to because, as I said, sport isn't going to last forever. We never know when it's going to end, and your life has to move on. So uh, it is it is so important to have that backup plan, and that's why I wanted to keep going with my masters while I was training, so that I did have that uh fallback if it de- did ever end and. Um It is so important for other athletes, no matter what sports, to have that there. And I suppose it's not possible in all situations. Um But for me, yeah, like, yes, you're out there, you're exposed, you're in the media as the athlete. But not every day is going to be a good day. And um yeah, like, as you say, with the tags as well, for me, I just see myself as me, an athlete going out there performing. Yes, I did have national records before. It's great to see um Rashida absolutely smashing those records and going to a whole other new level to show what can be done in Irish athletics. And it's great to see for everybody coming up as well. So, um, yeah, overall... For me, it is about career development, both on the track and off the track. Um, and it's an important aspect to uh, to take care of.
4: When you made the decision to send the message out about um, not running in the individual, in, in the Europeans, it was obviously a big deal Like to, OK, I'm, I'm actually going to start talking about this and I'm going to share my story. How do you feel now that you've shared it?
2: I'm actually very glad that I did, because I suppose anybody can share the good days. And we love posting on Instagram when we have a great performance and... Um, we run great times and we're at European championships or world championships or whatever it is. And it's easy to share those days. But like, I always remember Janae Galvin um, who looks after all of my uh, PR stuff said that you have people following you, you have people invested in your career and they're there to support you. And I suppose I had the opportunity to speak to media before nationals and I didn't want that because I didn't want it to be like, oh, she's setting um, herself up and she's making excuses already before she has, hasn't even performed and she's looking for that pity. For me, I didn't want any of that because you are going to have people who understand and you are going to have people that that don't actually understand as well. So for me, I just wanted to go out there, do what I could at nationals going in. I knew it wasn't going to be where I wanted to be. Like I have a very high bar and when things aren't good enough I know they certainly aren't good enough but the outpouring of support after it has been unbelievable and I suppose people appreciated the honesty and um, the just being open as well because as I said everybody can share the the good days and it it's life it's reality not every day is going to be a good day so we have to realize and I understand that I'm only talking about sport here and there's far bigger issues going on but in the End of the day, it is my career. Yeah, it's my health involved and different things like that. So I am glad that I I did share it and to be open and I suppose because you are critiqued, you are out there for people to to make judgment, but without people actually understanding what is going on, yeah,
4: they can but say
2: it, what what they want as well.
4: Yeah, I think it's showing real leadership to um, to take the opportunity, and it, it was a really excellent point um, about there are people out there who will support you and who are emotionally invested in your career because we've, we've watched it develop and flourish and we're all dying to see you back running at the the rate that you can. There's a good piece with um, Sinead Kazan in the papers today talking about your sister. There's a possibility there could be two Healy's in Paris. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's great to see and Joan's actually in Istanbul as well. So she... Um is running the 60 on friday so it's super to see we were both there in 2021 um joan has a lot of um injury setbacks through the years so it's super to see that she is going to the european championships and there was a point as well where she thought she was going to be finished her career at 30 she's now 30 she's going to her second european indoor championships she just ran a pb last year she's running quicker than ever um so it's brilliant to see so hopefully as the summer goes on and um, she will be at World Championships and Paris, obviously in 2024 as
5: well. Who was faster in the back garden, though? Was kids? Phil. That's the big
2: question. Oh, it was 100 percent her. She's actually the only reason that I joined the sport because she led the way, and uh, she was the one winning everything. And I only joined the athletic club to keep her company. Um, so I was definitely a late developer, and she was uh, the the one shining through. Um, at the younger ages.
4: The 4x400 is absolute hardcore. It's carnage on the track. Like you need pointy elbows.
2: Absolutely. And it's even more carnage indoors. Um, so it is fun. It's entertaining for everybody watching. And it's great to see that we do have a team there this weekend. Um, and yes, we have the performance this weekend, but posting times and actually competing at this level has a knock-on effect for qualifying for World Relay Championships in 2024 and World Championships in the summer of 2023 as well. So it's great to see. We have three of the same team that um, were in Munich um, and we have two new young athletes as well, which is super to see. They're making their debut, as I said um, earlier. And um, yeah, the 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 depth in 400 metres is... Um, is growing and growing. Um, obviously, unfortunately, we don't have Rashida for this championship because she is obviously smashing things over in the US and has her NCAA championships coming up. But uh, no, it's, it's great to see. We've obviously broke the national records outdoor last year. They stood for a long time. So the overall aim with all these championships and with all these 400-meter uh, uh, 4x4 relay is to qualify for Paris um, as well.
4: Well, listen, there's a green storm rising in Irish athletics and uh, I, I just want to say thanks very much for your openness and your honesty this morning. It's really inspiring. Best of luck this weekend.
2: Super. Thanks a million.
4: That's Phil Healy there, Irish legend, uh, giving us some thoughts this morning ahead of the European Indoors, which obviously get underway tomorrow. Uh, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And tomorrow's show, Nos Chowdhury's You Had to Be There, John Duggan's Virtual Insanity. Well, obviously have reaction to Liverpool and Manchester United and Arsenal in action tonight. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Lobs Razor
3: with exfoliating bar.